0: Due to the graphic nature of the personal accounts and content discussed in this podcast, listener discretion is advised. Many episodes will include graphic personal accounts and discussions of child sexual assault, domestic violence, physical abuse, rape, sexual situations, and suicide. to latter-day survivors this is Kendra, and i've got dana here and how do you want to be introduced as far as do you want to be anonymous uh no
1: i don't want to be anonymous i was just thinking this a while ago i was just listening um to denise Uh denise's podcast that you did yeah um and i was thinking oh there's probably some things that my kids might not want to hear about their dad but they're all adults and they can not listen if they don't want to yeah yeah, and we have scarily similar ex-husbands. Oh. Because I was like, oh,
0: yeah,
1: he did that. Oh, yeah, he
0: mm-hmm. did that. I have
1: two ex-husbands, and it, her husband is a mixture of both of my husbands.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. So,
1: I mean, hers was a little worse. But, um, hmm. yeah, I recognize myself in there. So you can yeah. just introduce me as Rebecca Williams. I don't need to be anonymous okay. to my story, and I'm trying not to be ashamed of any of it anymore. So Right,
0: right. It's That's interesting how, how well you can live without the shame. Once the shame goes away, you can actually analyze things and process things. Yeah, but yeah. Shame and ego, I think, are the biggest things that get in the way for us. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yep. But uh, this is Rebecca Williams that we're on with today. She is the sister of Esteban Lee O'Neill. And um, we're really excited to have her on. I met her at Esteban's party, which was the most phenomenal party that I think I have ever been to. No, not even I think, that I have ever been to. Absolutely. It, It is just amazing how you walk in the door and there's complete acceptance and just this utter love for each other where there's... Um, I've never felt that before. And just being in a room full of people that are all cheering each other on and excited to see someone eating a cupcake out of another person's ass.
1: (laughs) I like the champagne, personally. That was my favorite
2: part.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's life-changing going to Mm, a party like that. Yeah. So, anyway. And
2: now all I'm thinking about is how did the cupcake get in their ass?
0: On purpose. Oh,
2: just sat on top. It's just yeah. right on top. Just yeah,
0: just in. Right, right in their little <laughs> cheek crevice, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then they go in there and they yeah. eat it and they're like, nom, 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 the best <laughs> of Rex's life, I'm
2: pretty sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: mm.
1: man. My wife was taking pictures that night. She
0: got some
3: oh, great yeah.
2: pictures of yeah. all
3: that. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> we are
2: an open tribe here. Yeah. So. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I did confess to uh to our last um listener our last person that we interviewed yeah. I confessed to him that i was I had masturbated you know so yeah How was that yeah um well he took it very well um he was trying to be very professional about it he, putting on his bishop hat. <laughs> It was pretty funny. There's
1: a there's a man, and then there's the man of
0: God, and sometimes you got to separate the two. I'm not sure which one he was speaking as when he was talking to me, um, or when he was listening to me tell him that, but he was very accepting. He was very mm-hmm. Yeah, he was very what? Accepting. Yeah, and oh, well, that's good. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so we just kind of have a habit of allowing people to tell their story. If there's pauses, or we think of something that maybe is. Um, Similar to our story, we sometimes we'll check in, and otherwise we really just want you to be able to tell your story from beginning to end in your own timeline, so we don't we won't try to make you stop and start over somewhere else. We just want you to process it and say it how you see it, how you remember it. Yeah,
1: that's good. You're gonna have to do a little bit of keeping me on track because okay. I, I scroll out real fast.
0: Okay, I think a lot of so. people with trauma probably have that same that same issue, I know I do. Some of us yeah. will be medicated and some of us won't, so we'll try to help you to stay on task, so.
1: Thank you. <laughs> I <laughs>
0: appreciate it.
1: <laughs> so I don't know exactly where to start because there's so many different avenues that my life can take depending on what story we're talking about. Um, so you, you give me a jumping off point.
2: The first time we talked to your brother, he was actually the one that we talked to before we even started doing a podcast. And, uh, yeah. And one of the things that he said that's kind of helped us is try to kind of think of what you're wanting to communicate to, to the audience. So you're essentially meeting a bunch of strangers for the first time. So like, um, you know, what, what is, what is it about your story that you that you think other people really need to know, and then that can kind of give you the jumping off point of you know where you want to start um, and and where you want to end up? It's really just you know what what is it to you that if you had a captive audience for a couple hours, which you do. What is it that you would want them to know about you?
1: Well, I think, I'm going to think of it in terms as maybe what's the biggest obstacle I'm trying to overcome right now in my life, and that is me being able to have a voice. Mm -hmm. Because I did not have a voice for 41 years, and that is when I left the church. And so it's still, I still have a huge struggle every day with trying to find my own voice and knowing that I'm allowed to speak up or, or say my opinion or or anything, really, you know, ask people to please stop doing that,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, yeah. just stand up for myself because I never, ever stood up for myself one time. I was yeah. a complete and utter doormat
0: mm-hmm.
1: until I left. And now I'm, like, not quite a doormat, but every once in a while people still like to wipe their feet on me, mm-hmm. but, yeah, you know it's all right, but I just, I think the one thing that I'm trying to fix with all of my children as well, because, you know, I i did the best I could with what I had at the time, but I did a pretty good job fucking up my kids. You know, not knowing within the bounds that I had, I tried to work with my own personality and, you know, let them have their own space, but the more I'm out of the cult, the more I realize the damage I did to my children Mm -hmm. so now I do a lot of going back and saying hey remember when I did this when you were a kid like Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry I didn't mean it to go off like that you know I have your best intentions and the kids that are speaking to me now will accept it pretty much I have one daughter that wants nothing to do with me or my wife and we're just hoping that someday she comes around but
0: yeah yeah I I I feel
1: that people to know that they have a voice, and they shouldn't be afraid to use it, I guess.
2: (laughs) Yeah. What they call born in the covenant, you know, where you, your parents were active, faithful LDS people, and you sort of went down that whole path. Absolutely. How did did you experience um, that? Uh quietly
1: in the background (laughs) but taking the brunt of everything so my maiden name is Lee you know just like Estamon and we are descended from John D. Lee and so we have the Mountain Meadow Massacre as our family thing to trace back to you know so definitely uh, born and raised in the church strong Mormon family when I was young my dad was a bishop my mom was crippled by depression and anxiety so most of my life she was in bed and I know she was around for my older brothers uh, a lot more than me by the time Maya came around she just was tired I think tired of doing it tired of being in a life she probably never ever wanted to be in and a life she wanted to get out of but had no way out yeah so so yeah that was interesting growing up I uh I instinctively, when I was a kid, knew my place really young. It's crazy to me how tiny, tiny children will interpret an intention, you know, because when we're little, we don't have the words to understand what's going on, but we understand energy.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so, and we try and make sense of it in our little tiny brains, you know. So when I was really, really young, I knew, you know, things that I needed to do, but my mom wanted a girly girl, and she got a a tomboyish lesbian and that was not in the cards for her at all. Yeah. So her way to handle it was to go overboard and try and make me do all the girly things and keep me away from all the boy things, you know. So when I was three, I started ballet and tap and I hated ballet because it was so fucking slow and boring. God, I hated ballet. <laughs> but I love tap. And I wanted to do tap and jazz, but I was not allowed to do jazz because you're not allowed to do your body like that. So I wasn't allowed to quit. I was only allowed to do ballet and tap at the same time. If I didn't want to do one, I couldn't do either one of them. Mm. So I started gymnastics, and that's (laughs) where I stayed until I had to quit as a teenager. (laughs) But, yeah, I wasn't allowed to play soccer. I wasn't allowed to do anything boyish. We would go out to dinner. My brother, just older than me, was allowed dollars in nickels to go play at the arcade but I couldn't play at the arcade because little girls didn't belong in arcades
4: mm.
1: <laughs> which I just realized is super yeah. funny because my wife has gotten me into gaming <laughs> so yeah. now I'm a midlife 45 year old gamer yeah nice yeah. <laughs>
0: you for not letting me go to the arcade right right <laughs> so isn't it true How? that we all want what we can't have right yeah it makes it more desirable <laughs> yeah
2: yeah Oh, How old were you when you realized that you were a lesbian? Six. Six. Yeah. When I really knew there
1: was a difference. Like, I I am a kisser. I like to be touched, and mm-hmm. I um, I did a lot of kissing. I never did anything uh, before that. Like, I never had to worry about me and my boyfriends, because I wanted nothing to do with penises, but I like to make it out, you know. <laughs> But when I was five, I pulled a kid from my class into like a corner outside after school and I was kissing him in the corner and my mom and brother happened to pull up to pick me up. And I'm sure my mother was horrified. But I realized just a little while ago that I wanted to know what the big deal was. Like all of my friends, you know, little girls run around and act dumb and don't want to get cooties, but they like the boys. You know how little kids do that. And I just didn't understand why my friends like why they would chase the boys and not the girls. (laughs) So I kissed this boy to see what the big deal was. And I was like, (laughs) Uh, okay. (laughs) And uh, so then right after that, my mom saw that the chains got a little tighter, the box got a little smaller that I got to go in. But when I was six is when I started really to see my friends talking about how they liked the boys and, you know, boys this and boys that. And uh, nobody ever mentioned the girls and I knew can, that there was something different about me.
2: Can I bring up an observation because yeah. I, I think this is really important. You were very young, and this wasn't a sexual thing, right? You like mm-hmm. you, you weren't thinking about having sex in a and a penis and a vagina and all of that. I didn't know. What I said. Right. We're right. So, a lot of times when we talk about uh, LGBT tbqia stories it always gets wrapped around in sex and how much sex and it's a desire for sex but it's not a desire for sex Mm -hmm. it's it's a a a love and attraction that you know companionship that kind of thing
1: you know like there's no reason like interjecting just a just an observation you know i wish that i could get all my rest of my family to realize i don't i just want the same thing they want with their wives Mm -hmm. like why the hell can't i love somebody too yeah that's that's not okay with me so yeah that's all you know that's all you want is connection Mm -hmm. with another person and then you find out that you're only allowed to connect with certain people that have penises (laughs) right right
0: So an observation from my side, um, just with what you were saying at the very beginning of feeling like you've done some damage to your children, Um, I kind of think about like what you said about you did the best you could with what you had, how I've given my mom and dad grace for what, you know, they did the best that they could for what, with what they had. And I think that even though I have, I feel the same way about, you know, raising my kids in the church, I feel like I've. I've fucked them up in some ways and that they struggle in some ways um, because of that. And um, so I, I feel that same kind of you know remorse and regret and shame and also <laughs> have to give myself the same thing, the same grace where I can say I did the best that I could with what I had, but not only that, I did a better job than my mom and dad did. Yes. You know, I did a better job protecting my kids, I did a better job trying to do whatever I could to help them to be safe, but in also in the process of doing that, I was also preventing them from doing some of the things that they wanted they wanted to do, you know, that yeah. were outside of the box that we're all supposed to fit in in Mormonism.
1: Yeah. So Yeah, I struggle a lot with guilt because with my kids I realize uh, I threw them under the bus in the name of religion so many times. Mm-hmm. Like, I look back and I'm like, I should have stood up to you, you know, you know stood up for you in this way or this way or this way, but mm-hmm. I didn't because it wasn't, like, a priesthood holder didn't give me permission
3: mm-hmm.
0: to, right.
1: you know. And, like, uh, my our second daughter just came out as trans mm-hmm. uh, last year, and I've had a lot of conversations with her about how sorry I was that she couldn't tell me who she was. Mm. Sorry. It's I'm gonna a... cry a lot just so you know.
0: Please do. We, we <laughs> welcome it. <laughs>
1: like I knew when she was born that there was something different about her but I didn't know what. You know I just had this connection with her and um, I put her in a bubble mm. <laughs> like hardcore and I just wanted to keep her safe but you know we didn't live in the environment where she felt like she could come forward you know she figured out what trans was yeah. at 14 and so she sank into herself and she very much lives in her head hmm. and i hate that she has zero confidence you know and she's so afraid of everything but she's fucking brilliant hmm. yeah. so i hope that she can circle back around to that and find out who she really is and be okay with herself, but I worry about her. I think that I might have done the most damage to her, but we're working through. We have a really good relationship, and she just was living with us for about a year, and she just moved out and is being on her own, you know, really on her own for the first time as her, and so she's starting to do pretty good and open up a little bit, but, and I've just felt so protective over her, all the time, you know, like, mm-hmm. I, th- and I, and trans wasn't even in my vocabulary, I didn't even know to think that, you know, I, th- I was very sure that she was gay,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and, um, you know, I have this picture of her, it's my favorite picture ever, and she's probably three or four, and she's holding a little princess wand from, like, a little Cinderella wand from her sisters, and wearing, like, a pearl necklace, and just this smile, you know,
0: and
4: mm-hmm.
1: I'm like, yep, yeah, that's my kid, there mm-hmm. it is right there, yeah, so. So yeah, we're. I try and mend it as best I can, and I hope to one day be able to mend it with my um, third daughter that doesn't speak to us. Yeah. But she, there's a lot of growing up and things that she has to get past too. So mm-hmm. yeah. I hope it circles back around. But
3: yeah.
1: but yeah, lots of guilt for my parenting.
2: <laughs> I'm curious from your upbringing and realizing that y- you. What would you call it when you're 6 years old did you, did you identify that you were lesbian or were no. you just you're wanting you didn't okay that's right because you had you had boyfriends correct yeah i did not have any words to know what what i was
1: you know i just knew that other people did different things and somehow innately probably because my family is a bunch of bigots heard comments about you know, different things, and and they never talk about anything other than wives and husbands in church, you Mm -hmm. know, like, what I liked was never talked about, Mm -hmm. and so innately I knew that I had to keep that under wraps, Yeah, you know, and so I had no idea what lesbian or gay or anything was, I just knew that I didn't like the same group of people, and I better shut the fuck up about it,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: and I never spoke a word until I think I was in college when I mustered ability to tell Esteban
3: Mm.
1: and of course he was like (laughs) you know (laughs) because yeah
0: completely accepting and loving and yeah yeah
1: yeah and I didn't have a really any kind of relationship with my mom I didn't like her she didn't particularly like me and I don't know what it was I know that she saw all the other girls like my sister-in-laws in in the family as super competition Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: Esteban was telling me that's pretty much what he saw when I was a kid because we're 12 years apart Oh. So he has a completely different, like, viewpoint of my childhood. Mm-hmm. I just knew that my mom was in bed all the time. She wasn't happy. I used to I used to hear her, like, pray crying next to her bed for God to please take her home.
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: she was a fucking miserable, miserable woman. Miserable. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. we were always at odds. I was a daddy's girl, you know pretty much, but my mom is super controlling, and because my dad was a bishop, I had to look a certain way, you know, like, before I came home from the hospital from being born, there was something like 35 dresses in the closet from ward members, like, there was a lot of expectations about this little Lee girl, finally the Lee's got a girl, Mm. you know, I already had huge shoes to fill,
0: Yeah.
1: and I wasn't even born, you know, but I just didn't fit in the box, and she tried, like, mad to put me in the box, you know, when I was three, I used to go to church with the aloe vera plants, you know, rubbing on my forehead and my neck because I have to just sit there and get my hair curled with mm-hmm. a curling iron. Mm-hmm. Every Sunday as a sunbeam, mm-hmm. i am skipping the sunbeams in my stupid lace dress with my aloe vera because my mom burned my head again that morning. You know, like, I had to look it. I had to look it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, hoodies and
0: yeah. shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you didn't feel it. But mm-hmm. that's the whole oh, yeah. premise of the church—is yeah. that I, fake it I till you make at it, it, right?
1: Very young age to fake it till I made it. Yeah, fake it, fake it. All the Mormon church does is teach people how to lie.
0: hmm Yeah. What's well, a testimony? Right. <laughs> yep. Even regurgitated from, shit from other people. Mm-hmm. Well, our, the parents stand up there and whisper in their kids' ear, "I believe" or "I know," when they don't have that ability to to commit to that or to know those things. It's it's mm-hmm. gaining a testimony and the bearing of it.
1: Yeah. So. And I remember when I was like three or four, I was laying on my bed listening to this tape that my mom got, you know, and I was just singing this song, and it was all about, uh, when I grow up, I want to be a mother
0: and mm-hmm. have six
1: children of my own. You know, like I didn't even know what it meant, but I was yep. going to grow up and have kids.
0: Right. Because that's what's expected of you. Exactly. That's, I never even got a choice yeah. in the matter. It's the propaganda. If you listen to a lot of the primary songs, I think Esteban was talking about Give Said the Little Stream. You know, yeah. and I was like I was like, "Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh. I know it's so <laughs> brainwashing.
1: Yeah. And I think back to lessons, you know, where they bribe you with candy yeah. and all these things if you learn these stupid Ugh, it's sickening the yeah. brainwashing of children in the
0: yeah, learning the articles of faith, right, you know, and yeah. standing up in front, of the, in front of the group and being able to recite it, um, yeah. and then, you know, in one way, they're teaching kids to be able to stand up and speak, but they're only allowed to stand up and speak about the things that are appropriate to speak about in church, like, they're not going to give them yeah. a topic and say, you know, come in and speak about um, how to love your family. <laughs> They'll uh-huh. tell you, this is what yeah, you, exactly. this is the box, you love your family. Even if your family's abusive, you love your family, so you have to fit in mm-hmm. this box when you come and teach the lesson or tell, give a talk and follow a, or a friend um, article mm-hmm. or whatever. You have to stay on task. You can't go yeah. in there and say how you really feel, you know, or yeah. even recognize how you really feel.
1: Yeah. And the first time I spoke in sacrament meeting, I was four
0: because
1: mm-hmm. my dad was the bishop, so I got up there all by my damn
0: self. <laughs> yeah. Wow! Yeah,
1: I loved it though. I'm a little bit of an attention whore, so <laughs> and a whole congregation of people, you know. And like I remember when I was in Sunbeams, it was music time, and uh, the lady that was teaching it was my babysitter, mm. and my dad was the bishop, and so I pretty much ran the place, ah. you know. And so I raised my hand during sharing music time and wanted to sing Elvira. Oh. A whole bunch of people tried to get me not to sing Elvira, but by hell, we ended up singing Elvira.
0: Right, <laughs> so you're in that's there going, hilarious. you're going, oom pa, oom pa, oom pa, pa ma, ma. That one <laughs> is that the one you wanted to sing? Really
1: Elvira, like, yeah, that was my I was that's my favorite song. That's great. For some reason, I don't know. This.
0: Do you want to sing it now? <laughs> that's all I remember. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
2: This reminds me, it's kind of a gross story, maybe a little bit off topic, but I, I was telling my husband about it the other night, that I remember being in CTR, the CTR class, mm-hmm. and we had, our CTR teacher was a man, and he sort of looked like John Denver, and I thought he was so cool, <laughs> and he went to the Redwood Forest, and took a bunch of pictures, and he invited the entire
4: class over to his house to watch the slideshow of the
2: um, Redwood Forest. Mm -hmm. And I was the first one who got there, and so he was having me, like, put out the glasses and pour the soda for everybody, and then I would go and answer the door. And I have this distinct memory of, of actually thinking, like, I'm like the wife of the home. I'm being the hostess. (laughs) And I, I, it's so gross to me to think of it now, but, like, I was the girl fulfilling sort of the wife role because he didn't have a wife. And how old are you when you're in CTR class, Mm -hmm. like? Seven and eight, sorry, before you get baptized. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah,
2: so, like, how how weird and gross, and we, and he sort of played in on that, too, so, like, I was the little, the little makeshift wife for the evening, and I just think back on that with such gross, such gross memories yeah. of mm-hmm. how, how gross that was. Yeah.
0: yeah, well, creepy, the church makes you creepy. Yeah, um, something that... Just kind of came to mind with that is that in CTR what do you get? That you get ring. You get a CTR ring. ring. So that they're you're never supposed to take off. They're never supposed to take off. But what what choice do they want you to make when you're seven turning eight? Choose the yeah. right. There's only one right way to be happy. Oh, yeah. So we'll always choose yeah. the right. Right. So it's like the little. Um, program or announcements that people put on Facebook saying that their, their child chose to be baptized. They didn't choose to be baptized. Right. They're manipulated yeah. into it. They don't have a choice. They don't exactly have a real right. choice. It's, yeah. it's you be baptized or everybody will be disappointed in you. You be baptized and you can have a party and you can have yeah. people come yeah. over and you know what kid doesn't want those things. They don't know that by being baptized they are committing the rest of their life just something they may or may not believe in
1: yeah and they don't even know you know like it's the same thing when you go in the temple you're sitting there and they make Mm -hmm. you commit to it before you even know what the fuck they're saying yep and what the fuck you're signing yourself up for you know
0: right well they don't yeah that's
1: part of how they get you they can't tell you the whole story because people would run
0: (laughs) right exactly you don't you don't get informed consent there is no informed consent in the church you go and you do the right thing, and then you find out later why it was the right thing. And then you right. realize, well, the temple, was it really the right thing? And then you're questioning yourself, you're questioning your own intuition, you're questioning your own sanity and wondering, okay, well, exactly. I'm supposed to be doing this because everybody before me did this, and because this is what's expected, and if I don't do this, then I will be you know, seen as a sinner, seen as someone who's not doing all the right things, because that's an external um, show of how worthy you are. You go to the temple, other people see you there, you know, you wear your garments, people can see that you're not, um, you're not showing your, your legs way up up high, you don't have porn shoulders. So there's all this external, really, there's all this external show, you know, peacocking, basically showing everybody around you, I am worthy, you know, I have a calling, I am worthy. I'm not just worthy because I'm me. I'm worthy because I, sh- I do the conditional things that the church expects of me, so that everybody else exactly. can see me as worthy, including my family, because they don't know exactly. how to be worthy without those things. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah you got to look the part. You know.
0: Absolutely. Make yeah.
1: it till you make it. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> That's the thing. Yep. Yeah. It's it's crazy. There's it, there's just you the whole illusion of. Agency
3: mm-hmm.
1: is nobody has agency. You have agency to choose what they want you to know
0: mm-hmm.
1: and regurgitate, but anything beyond that, you agency doesn't touch that.
0: Right? You you see the further. yeah. You've seen the the like the YouTube videos of um, people getting up and bearing their testimony. If they start veering off onto things that are not um, gospel doctrine, uh, or if it's controversial in any way, they will shut them down. They'll turn off the microphone. They'll invite them to leave the yep. stand. So there, there's proof that there is no freedom. You know, there's no agency in order in, to do the things or say the things that I'm really thinking or feeling. I have to conform with what they're um belief system is and and if i don't then i'm cut off i'm shunned um yeah yeah it's it's pretty interesting when you leave you can see it but when you're in the middle of it you don't see it
1: you don't know you have no No. idea because you don't have you know they um oh my god i'm so happy i can't fucking remember this off the top of my
0: head uh (laughs) yeah
1: you forgot um, something (laughs) I know, I love it when I forget church things. I forget okay. some, forgot something I no, didn't want to together. Tell me what you are just talking
0: about. <laughs> oh my gosh, you are so me. <laughs> what were we you talking about? Me. I lost it. What What was it we were talking about? <laughs> I know. Um, I was talking about how people can't stand up in sacrament meeting and uh, bear their own testimony unless that testimony is conf- is in can. Junction is in. It conforms with yeah, yeah. the church's beliefs and their um, their expectations of you. If you go off track, then you'll be cut off. You'll be your your voice will be stopped. You know they yeah. cut off your all microphone. They cut off your microphone. And they make you leave the stand. Mm-hmm. It's a
1: uh, there must needs be opposition in all things. Like you can't have opposition within that religion that speaks to you because you can never mm-hmm. know the other side of the coin. Mm-hmm. So you have zero knowledge of. What they're even doing to you, because you don't know anything else
0: by it's design. Small. Yeah, by you design. Know, you have
1: no idea,
0: mm-hmm.
1: nor are you allowed to find out what the other side of that is, even mm-hmm. when it's totally harmless.
0: Right, and it's yeah. all it's all by design, right? You know, yeah. the the primary answers from the time you're little, the primary answers to get to get um, find peace, to find answers to your questions, to you know whatever it is, to feel the Holy Ghost. Well, are you? Praying, reading your scriptures, going to church Uh every Sunday, um, doing baptisms for the dead if you're a a teenager, going to the temple weekly, monthly, whatever it is that you have an expectation Uh of yourself or how close you are to a building. But the thing is, is that if you're not doing any one of those things, then it's your fault and you need to do better. You know, magnify your calling. There's there's a list of scrupulosity, things that you can be completely Uh scrupulous with. Um and I was. Like I I believed that it was my fault that things weren't working out the way they were supposed to or where they thought that they should. You know, that my my marriage wasn't going well, my husband wasn't um going to church with me and so I took on the whole um belief that I was responsible for the entire family's internal salvation. And Well that's what you're told. Right. Right. So when nobody else is going to church or people don't go to church, then it's me, it's me, it's my, my fault. You know, it's my yep. fault and my responsibility to fix it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I ugh. Yeah, I was told by a bishop. So my last marriage—sorry—I just jumped about thirty-six years in my life, but <laughs> it's
0: okay. My last
1: marriage—it um, was—it was terrible in the sense that I married the polar opposite of my abusive first husband, um, and I don't want to say anything ill against him because he just. He did the best he could with what he had, and he has autism, and I didn't know at the time, but there was a 10-year marriage of zero emotional anything, Mm. and it was devastating to me because I'm the opposite of that, you know, and um, it it just, it was an awful, neglectful time in my life, you know, And, um, and so I would go to the bishop often, which happened to be his best friend and our neighbor. And I would say, I just, I need help. He's not, when we have family home, evening, he sits at the edge of the room, you know. And I came into this marriage with five biological children. And um, he didn't know what the hell to do with any of it, mm-hmm. you know. And so he just stayed in his head, never really had anything to do, never really helped with anything. And I would go to the bishop and I would say, please help me, I don't know what to do. You know, I, I want to try and draw him out. Mm-hmm. And time and time again, it was, you need to pray, and read your scriptures, and go to the temple, and blah, 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 and you were given a blank slate of a husband. Mm. So this same fucking bishop was a huge reason that started my exit of the church. And um, I went in for a totally different reason that is a whole different story that we can get into. But basically, was told, you were given a blank slate of a husband, and if he's not what you want, it's your fault, because you had the chance to mold him into what you wanted.
3: Hmm.
2: how did you get there from like so are you are you living like the mormon upbringing through your teenage years and did
1: you, like how did how did you get to that place yeah so thanks for circling me back around the beginning of it so i knew from very young age that i had to overcompensate so i was going to be a good mormon girl I don't want to bring shame to the Lee family of all families in the world don't shame mine Mm -hmm. and um, I did exactly what I was supposed to do I didn't understand half of it half the time I didn't know what the hell I was doing but I was doing it anyways you know I was just going along pretending saying what they wanted me to say making up spiritual experiences so that I could be just like everybody else Mm -hmm. you know like your mind can make you believe shit and I look back now and I'm like oh my
4: god i don't even know
1: like crazy it makes me feel crazy yeah and i can't trust myself you know but i i did it and i started feeling suicidal as a teenager Mm -hmm. it made me suicidal because i couldn't handle it you know i was in high school and um there was this (laughs) in my high school there was one lesbian couple and where my first hour class, I could see straight across to the junior hallway, and they would always make out at their lockers, you know, and I was like, oh, and everybody else was like, oh, my God, and I was like, oh, yeah, oh, my God, <laughs> <laughs> like, I wanted that so bad, but I was like, no, that's so terrible, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like, trying to gawk, but it, um the deeper I had to retract into myself, the more I took it out on myself you know, and, uh, yeah, that started, started my suicidal ideations were pretty young, but I just kept going along, kept going along, you know, doing what they wanted me to do. When I was 16, I had a Sunday school teacher and they were a couple and they were 20 years apart, (laughs) they're 20 years apart, my wife and I are 15 years apart, (laughs) but I became really good friends with them and I'd go over to their house and hang out and, um, and the husband drank near beer. And mm. so he, he didn't drink beer, but, you know, he did what he could to get by, I guess. And um, we were at a fireside. And I was sad probably because in my life, I hated myself. My parents didn't like me. You know, like, I had reasons to be sad. And um, my this leader noticed and, and pulled me aside. And, and uh, I have no idea what we talked about. She's like, you know what? Why don't we go get some ice cream and I'll have you back by the end of it so nobody will miss you, you know, but I I know you need to talk. Mm. So (laughs) what should have been a red flag, but I was raised naive and stupid and trust every adult that you come across, you know, so I'm like, yeah, sure. So we go to get ice cream and she's talking about me. She's asking me a lot of questions about my dad. And I said, yeah, I mean, he's kind of scary. And at this time I would describe my dad as a, as the perfect mixture of King Triton and Heavenly Father. That's how I saw my dad. Like, if I pictured Heavenly Father, it was my dad. He was perfect. <laughs> and she's like, you know, is he is is he scary? Does he ever hit you? And I'm like, well, I got spanked once when I was little, you know, but that was it. And and I saw him slap my mom one time. And mm-hmm. she was like, oh my gosh! And like, it was when I was four. I was I snuck downstairs because I could hear my mom yelling, and she was. Reeking out over something and my dad was trying to calm her down and I was peeking like around the wall they had no idea I was there and he fucking slapped her to get her to shut up and I was like oh and then I was like well you know mom was crazy so it was justified you Mm. know and I never saw him do it again and he never like never did anything like that to me Mm. ever like this man walked on water but I it's so disturbing to me that one of my first thoughts was, Well, my mom was crazy. Mm. You know, if somebody is acting like that, you got to shock them back into reality, and that's the way to do it.
0: Right. You learn You learn Which young. Didn't. You learn young to yeah, believe exactly. that those things are appropriate or that that's the right way. And, you know, especially yeah. when there's no debriefing or discussion or, you know, I did the wrong thing and I shouldn't have done that. And, you know, what you yeah. saw was not a good example. No. Just, we're just yeah, we're expected exactly. to just kind of be okay, you know?
1: Yeah. So um, I relay that story to her, and then we leave. And the next thing I know, that night, there's commotion in my family. And my older brother, who lived in the area, was calling my dad because I had told people that he abused my my oh. mom, and he had spanked me. Like, there was this huge, huge thing. And I was just sitting there, and people are like, what would you say? Why would you say that? And I'm like, hey, <laughs> I, 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 I. it was one sentence. Like. Yeah. I don't know what happened. Well,
0: and you are telling the truth. This
1: guy ended up being threatened. Like it was, it was terrible. He was gonna, he was gonna out Bob Lee, to, you know, all the priesthood leaders about what kind of man. Oh, craziness! Craziness!
0: Wow. Well. Wow. Wow. So it was just, you know, that uh, that was crazy. Well,
1: but I from you, about did... the age sixteen, it started to take its toll. Yeah. Real hard.
0: Did you Real see harm. what your dad did to try to silence both your mom and whoever else it was that was trying to get them, you know, to say things about him or to disclose to other people about what he, what he had done? Um, do you, do you see that as something that you had to learn how to not speak up anymore because you got in trouble oh, for it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause I say one thing and all of a sudden there's commotion and, and, and state presidents are getting involved and. This guy's being threatened to lose, like, being disfellowshipped if he didn't shut up. And I was like, well, <laughs> don't say nothing.
0: If he didn't stop telling about what <laughs> you had told them that your parents had done. Or that yeah. your dad had done. Hmm. Yeah, so it's just crazy. Rather than rather than talking to the person who speaks up, who says something, instead they're protecting the person who... who was the person who actually did something wrong. Oh yeah. It,
1: it's just typical church cover-up stuff. You know, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. They keep it in the family. They make sure that no abuser gets any kind of punishment. Yep. You know?
0: And the person because, who speaks up becomes you know, the a scapegoat. As long as
1: they're repentant, you know, that's yeah. punishment enough, Right. Blah, blah,
0: blah, blah. Right, and the person who speaks up is, is the scapegoat. They're the person who gets in trouble. You're gonna be disfellowshipped if you keep speaking. If you keep speaking ill of the Lord's anointed, right? (laughs) Was your dad a bishop at the time?
1: (laughs) No. No. Well, you know, once a bishop, always a bishop, but he wasn't actively in a bishop role.
0: Yeah. So when you were 16, you were saying that that was kind of the way it was until you were 16, and then did you want to pick up from there? Yeah, so... um,
1: I just remember I struggled a lot, a lot. As soon as I got my license, my mom never went to church anymore because I could drive myself. Mm. She never left the house, really. Um, She just wanted to die, so she wasn't there for me in any capacity my whole life, pretty much. Mm. And, you know, my parents, we weren't real emotional. I remember during that time when I was 16, I went to my dad, and I was like, I don't understand time. Mm. I don't understand how... Heavenly Father could have a father, could have a father, could have a father, and there's no beginning or end. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, because it doesn't make sense. But his answer to me was, um, you just have to keep having faith. There's some things on this earth that you're never meant to know, and you'll find out, you know, after you die and, you know, we have all the answers, you'll find out then.
0: Yeah, and then until life. then
1: you just... Have to have faith that it's true. I'm like, okay, such such a man of God. Mm -hmm. I just needed to work on my faith. Mm -hmm. It was me, and so I dug in, and I did everything I could to look the part. You know, and it was such a struggle because off to the side, I was smoking and making out (laughs) with people. You know, because I had to deal somehow. And I had a steady boyfriend. I could not be without a boyfriend because then people might find out, mm. you know. And so boyfriend after boyfriend. And um, when I, oh, yeah. So when I was 16, my my uh, best friend um, in high school, we're still we're very, very close to this day. But um, her, let's see, her older brother, who happened to be my boyfriend when we were freshmen, <laughs> her older brother had said to somebody that he thought that I was in love with her and that touched the deepest fear that anybody could ever have. You know, Mm -hmm. like that, that was my deepest, deepest fear that nobody could ever find out. Mm -hmm. And he was joking, you know, maybe, because I always was really close to my friends, you know, I just, yeah. plus I'm a touchy-feely person. Mm-hmm. And so, as soon as I heard that, I stopped speaking to her. And our oh. lockers were right next to each other because oh. our names were similar. Mm. Like, one day I stopped talking to her. And I didn't speak to her the entire, our entire senior year. Oh. And then I got married the year after that, and she wasn't in my wedding. Like, mm. And it wasn't until 25 years later into our friendship where I was like, do you know what happened? <laughs> and she was like, no. <laughs> Um. And I told her, and she was like, oh, shit. (laughs) And that's when I came out to her, you know. And then the next year, she came out to me. Oh. (laughs) Like, the whole time, we're just lesbians. We were never, like, we are not attracted to each other in the slightest sexually
3: at all, you know. But we're good friends. She's one of my closest friends.
1: Always has been. That's awesome. But, yeah, that was, I remember that's the first time it really got in the way of my life somebody had discovered me somehow, and I completely shut down.
3: Mm.
1: I hate that.
0: Yeah, yeah. You have to hide who you are even better, yeah. right? Because you feel like somebody's... Discovered yeah, so, you. so did you,
2: like, overcompensate, and that's how you ended up get? how did you end up getting married to a man?
1: So, after graduation, I went to college. Um, there's a, there's a two-year small college in Thatcher, Arizona, that all of my family went to. And um, it's not church-accredited, but everybody that's Mormon wants to go to EA, you know, Eastern Arizona College. So I went there, followed in the footsteps, knew that I had to get a husband, because that's why you go Mm -hmm. to college when you're a girl, is to find a husband, because you've been planning that. You've been making wedding plans since you were a Laurel. You know, that's just what you do. And um, that year was so hard because there was all kinds of girls that I liked. You know, I had a crush on so many people, and I could not do anything about it. And so I knew, like, it was getting close to the end of the school year. And I remember praying that I either needed confirmation that I needed to go on a mission or get a husband. And the next week is is when I met my husband, which I'm sure that, you know, there there was no divine intervention. I'm sure I saw an opportunity in myself and jumped on that and called it opportunity, you know. Mm -hmm. So we met and it was my roommate, uh, one of my roommates at the time was in a car accident and died. And he came over to kind of comfort the house. He knew everybody else in the house but me. And he was coming in the doorway, and I was going out the doorway, you know. And I, in a moment when we passed, I saw his soul. And I saw how wonderful of a man he was, and I was able to see who he was through Heavenly Father's eyes. And he was just wonderful. And two weeks later was the end of the school year, and I went to Colorado, and he followed me. And we were married in September of that year.
0: Hmm. What year was that? That was it. 95. Okay. I got married wow. in 96. And there were
1: so many red flags. Yeah. So many red flags.
0: But you're taught to ignore sky. those things. You're taught to ignore those things. You're taught to not trust yourself. You're not to. You're not supposed to trust your intuition, especially when it goes against what you've been taught. It's time to get married. You went to school to get your MRS degree, right? That's what my brother-in-law calls it, which exactly drives, it. Me, drives me absolutely insane. But, you know, you go there to, to go get your MRS. They're, for women, you're not going to school to gain knowledge and to get a degree. You're there to get married.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So can I ask
2: a personal question? Sure. Have worry, and you don't have to answer. Um, had you had sexual experiences with men or women up to that point? Or did you fully do the whole save yourself till marriage and your first encounter was your husband did you marry him in the temple oh yeah so when
1: i was i didn't have any sexual experiences like that um i started i started masturbating when i was very young i was like 4 or 5 mm. and um i was molested as a small child from a cousin but i have no memory of it i know because esteban told me mm. um and he had told my parents and they Basically told him stop making up stuff and to never speak of it again. So I have no memory and I'm okay with that Um, but I It's not normal for a four or five year old to start masturbating (laughs) So I don't know what happened to me, but I know that it was it was not normal Yeah, and so I was a very sexualized child, but I had never had any sexual experiences past You know making out And yeah, I wanted to save myself. I couldn't be that my mom got pregnant when she was 15 and had my oldest brother when she was 16, you know, so, and I couldn't, I couldn't follow in those family footsteps, you know, so, yeah, I, I waited until we were married, the, the sexual abuse from him started before we were married, Mm. uh, he, he had broken his back in the MTC playing basketball, I guess, and so he had a bad back, he ended up coming home early, um, because of a back injury, and uh, so he was in a lot of pain, and he'd gotten a job in the area that had him be on his feet all the time, and his back hurt, and, and uh, he had gotten his apartment, and I was over there, and um, he, and we, I'm sure we were making out, we made out all the time, and so he was aroused, and, and uh, wanted to, to masturbate, but you know, that's, that's forbidden, and so he, Convinced me to masturbate him because we were going to be an eternal couple anyways, you know, and and uh, He justified it Okay, enough in my mind, you know, and so and and Then he was like well, you know, you, you don't have to touch me, but if you turn around If you turn around and pull down your pants and just bend over sorry Then uh, that should be enough And I Mm. felt so disgusting, I felt so disgusting that Mm. this was going to be my husband and surely it was okay. Surely Heavenly Father understood that this man I loved was struggling and it was my job to help Mm. him. I pulled down my fucking pants and I fucking bent over for him. And then when he was done, he was in the shower. And I pulled my pants back up and I left. I ran and I didn't even have my shoes with me. And I left the apartment that we were in. And I was, I I was probably twenty minutes from my parents' house. It was way too long—twenty minutes of driving to my parents' mm-hmm. house. And I was alone and it was dark. And and probably a half a mile down the road was the restaurant that I worked at. But in between there was a huge empty field. And. Uh, I just started running and I was hiding behind cars in the parking lot and I could hear him coming after me trying to find me, you know, and his voice, he he just was so concerned sounding but I didn't believe a fucking word of it, you know, I was traumatized and so I started off across this field barefoot, it was so awful and it was dark outside and I was just trying to keep the lights in the distance in my vision. And I finally made it across this fucking field of brush and, and stickers and I make it up the bank to the parking lot of the restaurant and he's fucking sitting there in the car with the headlights pointed right at me. And he ushered me into the restaurant so we could sit down and talk and we were in a booth and he got me into public. So I had to stop crying. I had to look okay. You know, I played the Relief Society part where you pick up the phone and after you're screaming at your kids and you're like, Hello, hi, how are you? You know, I put on the face and I went in that restaurant and I sat there across from him while he tried to explain to me what had just gone on. And I fell for it. What was his explanation? I I don't remember, but I know it's probably a bunch of bullshit about how he loves me and how Heavenly Father can... You know he'll understand and he'll forgive both of us because we're going to the temple and I did you know I did him a service some kind of bullshit the the man is full of loads and loads of bullshit he is a complete narcissist with a great charismatic personality and to this day he gets away
2: with it
0: um so I just
2: want to point out that like the dignity factor in that you know like like Removing your dignity can be just as traumatic. You know, I just I feel for you so hard when you when you're talking about that because so often so often these abuses maybe your actual body wasn't physically touched, but your dignity was removed. And your body was used for self-gratification of somebody else. While you receive absolutely nothing out of it except for the loss of your dignity. Mm -hmm. So often, just a woman's body is sexualized and there doesn't have to be any care for her at all or any any satisfaction for her at all, but but she can be put in these circumstances where, she, where her, just her dignity is removed.
0: So you you talked Rachel. about some red flags, and I'm wondering if the red flags that you saw were also part of him grooming you, you know? Oh, So oh, yeah. grooming Absolutely. you from the very beginning. Um, the other thing that kind of came up for me was thinking about... Um, the history and origin of the church, you know, who was the person that came up with the idea of the church? He was a fraud. He was a a trickster. Right. And he was, he was working his way into sleeping with little girls and, and, you know, a teenager at 14 and, and other men's wives and, you know, he just had to be married to all of them. So what did he do? He groomed the husbands of the of these men's of these of these women that he married. He groomed the children. And the only ones who actually made it out unscathed, at least some somewhat unscathed, are the ones that actually knew how to trust themselves, who knew how to stand up to somebody, who knew how to say, This isn't right you know but the rest of us, you know, it's a it's a generational curse. It's a generational trauma. It's generational oh, yeah. abuse that just keeps getting carried forward and forward. And with your abuse as a little girl and not remembering it, it may not be a memory in your consciousness, but it's a memory in your body.
1: Oh, oh, yeah. And at four, it's in my brainstem. When you're that young, that kind of trauma is, is in your brainstem. Just, that's where it's programmed, you know, just like all the rest of the shit. Mm -hmm. so we ended up getting married in the temple we went to see the bishop you know because we were going to confess to going too far you know we didn't have sex or anything but you know we needed to repent before we got our temple recommends Mm -hmm. and so the guy doesn't ask any questions you know because the penis hood and no you know nothing happens I remember the night before my wedding my mom had a talk with me and she was like you know you don't have to do it if you have done something wrong you don't have to go to the temple. Mm-hmm. Basically accusing me of having sex. And I was thinking to myself, you have no idea. Right. <laughs> you have no idea.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and I know, I, know, I wasn't going to tell anybody, but... Right. She had no idea. so we got married and went on my, you know, went on our honeymoon when we came home. I couldn't walk because I was so sore, you know, because mm-hmm. I was a vessel. Oh. And it was, awful mm-hmm. <laughs> and there wasn't like a lot of our marriage was sexual abuse um, he never hit me I wish to hell sometimes he would have beat the shit out of me so that somebody could have saw bruise,
3: mm-hmm. something
1: on the outside but it was you know just like the church does to everybody it was psychological rape yep. from the very beginning you know you don't get a choice and he was emotionally abusive and very manipulative And using his priesthood to do it. And about a year in, I found my first stash of his porn. And it was like BDSM type stuff. Which now I'm fine with. (laughs) But back then I was not fine with it, you know. I just saw these magazines. Right. I saw these magazines and I was like disgusted. I'd never seen anything like that. You Mm -hmm. know, my friends and I, when I was little, we would sneak. Somebody got a hold of a Playboy, you know. And, uh. I was like, oh, my God, why? Or oh, it was a play girl. There oh. was a picture of a guy standing in with a bicycle and his dick's hanging all out, and I was like, oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> was like, oh, my God. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's terrible. But
2: can, can I ask another really super personal question?
4: Yeah.
2: And, again, you, please don't feel obligated to answer. Um, I'm curious about your feelings even just, like, even just if there were any occurrences of just regular sex, what like, how traumatic was that when that's not your sexual orientation, you know? I put up, I put up with it.
1: I did. I I probably, it was probably okay, but it, because it ended up in an orgasm.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, like, really well, at that. at least there was that, right? <laughs> at least there yeah. was fucking that. Yeah. Yeah, and there was plenty of
1: instances in our marriage where it was normal, you know, healthy sex. You know, it wasn't always, but because all of that was there, he would sneak in the other shit, you know, mm-hmm. hold me down when I didn't want to. Yeah. Keep going when I said ow. I didn't know that I could say to my husband, you know, I, I don't like this, can we stop? Mm-hmm. Yeah, You know, and so I, I really struggle with saying the word rape because I fucking laid there. I didn't say no. I didn't tell them to get off. I didn't do anything but lay there, take it, which is what I was programmed to do from when I was born, is to lay there and fucking take it. There was a period of time where... For every six months, he would cycle back into pornography. And I would make sure he went to the bishop and repented. Man, I was a supportive wife. And I would pull my fucking bootstraps up and do it all over again. And love him and support him and all this shit. And he kept just fucking around. He, I come to find out when he was in the elder Quorum presidency, presidency, uh, we had three kids at the time. No, nope. Four kids at the time. Um, the elders' corn presidency would get together for their meetings, and they would pass around porn tapes. What? Oh, yeah. We lived at ASU Polytechnic Campus in a, in a college, well, it was a family ward, but there was a lot of college students. Yeah. Wow. Elders' corn meetings were a big, what kind of porn have you watched lately? And it happened to be lesbian porn. <laughs> so I found it, played it, and I was like, oh, all right, get in Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> You know, but that's what it was. It's like a church book club, but instead of a book club, it's a it's a porn exchange. Yeah.
2: I wanted to just maybe talk about this a little bit, too. That like, um, I don't, when the church encourages that you go ahead and just get married to somebody of the opposite sex because it's, this is a, it's a choice to be gay and if you just get married to someone of the opposite sex, it's gonna work itself out and you're gonna figure yep. itself out. And I have often tried to think about that because like I got married at 15 and I've been married to my same husband now for almost 32 years. So That's I my only experience with sex outside of my own marriage. Was inappropriate because nobody should have been having sex with me when I was fourteen, anyway. Yep. But one thing I think of, you know, I don't know, I don't know what sex would have been like with a woman. You know, what if I would? What, what if I was a lesbian? Well, I know I wasn't a lesbian, but what if I was bi, or what? Or I never got the opportunity to to even explore the possibility that I could have other um, inclinations. Mm -hmm. But I think also, like, I don't really know how to say this, but I'm trying to think of a way to say this. Like, if men can be kind of harsh and gruff and they're hairy... And penises are not sexy, penises are weird looking, and but also that I am like straight, you know. So I know that I didn't choose that I was straight, I was just born that way. But what if I, in order to fulfill my religious obligations, let's say that roles were reversed and you had to be gay and in a, a same sex? relationship in order to be quote quote righteous and I try to imagine what if the only way for me to be righteous and attain the celestial kingdom would be for me to be having sex with women and you know what I wish I was a lesbian I I do but I'm not and so people don't realize Imagine for a minute, we got to have all these dudes imagining for a minute, you know, the Q15, what if they were told that they had to have sex with men for their eternal salvation, only that wasn't their sexual orientation? That in and of itself can be extremely traumatic in my opinion am I making any sense like yes yes you know I I often wonder about that too like I don't think people put themselves in the in the place of LDA, in, in the place of Mormon LGBTQ folks who enter into this marriage so that they can do the whole covenant path and have kids you know and all the while they're they're having a sex life with somebody that is not their sexual orientation that's got to cause some trauma in and of itself but yes in some ways
1: yeah. well it's a complete betrayal of yourself
2: over and over and
1: over and over and over and mm-hmm. over you betray who you are as a person so you learn that you are the enemy because any thought that doesn't come from God which is not gay thoughts comes from Satan and yep. pretty much I just, you know, Satan was in charge of me all the time. And so it is It is traumatic because, you know, like, I have a couple of lesbian friends who are traumatized by penises. There is no way, shape, or form. Hmm. It is, f- like, a lot different kind of trauma when they're having sex. I needed to get to the celestial kingdom so that God could fix me as a lesbian.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I knew that you know, and I liked it because I have nerve endings inside of my vagina, so, you know, you just, you just do it, I wasn't physically repulsed, uh, like some other lesbians, you know, it doesn't make me less of a lesbian, but it made me, it definitely, it fucks with you, (laughs) you're absolutely Mm -hmm. right, it fucks with you, and nobody will even entertain the thought, you know, because I've said that, you know, what if the roles were reversed, what if you had to be with a guy the rest of your life in order to even see Heavenly Father again? Right. And there's no response. They won't even entertain it because that would that's not a thing. So because that's, that's not the way that it thought. is, right? That's you trying to have Satan influence me, and so they're never going to listen to that because
2: you're speaking evil. <laughs> yeah. Can I just say something extremely blasphemous? Yeah. We love Can that. we... All- can we all take a moment to imagine Russell Nelson having sex with a man?
0: Hmm. When I see him, I actually feel like he's evil. So I don't really care so what his, do I. I don't really care what his sexual orientation is. I think he's an evil man.
2: Yeah. Love to tell Russell Nelson, you know what, dude, you have to heaven is really full of gay people and so when you get there, you're gonna be having sex with dudes. And you know, I would love the opportunity. Russell, if you're listening, I'm imagining you in this moment having sex with dudes.
0: I think he would be a much more compassionate person. And yeah. I think that he probably um you know the the closest I've been to heaven in uh, forever, was Esteban's party. <laughs> I'm oh. serious. I'm absolutely serious because you walk in there and it's just complete acceptance and love no matter who yep. you are, what you are, what you've done in your life, how you, you know, what your sexual orientation is, um, whether you're an addict, whether you're not an addict, whether it doesn't matter. You are a person, you're a human being, and the people I think that see human beings the best are other people who are either traumatized in their life.
1: He Esteban is a core, core part of why I am alive. A core part. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, we, there was lots of years there where we were not in contact, and he had to disown our entire family, including me, because I was fucking brainwashed, mm-hmm. you know. But um, it he, I can't even believe, number one, that I get to... He, in his life again, it's the greatest opportunity the universe has ever handed to me. Yeah. Because he was my idol when I was a child. Mm. The worst day of my entire childhood is when he left on his mission. Mm. He's a core part of who I am today and why I'm alive. He's one of the best people on the planet.
0: I agree. Absolutely agree with that.
1: Yeah. And there is nobody more accepting than him. Nobody.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and it's, it's exactly what... If heaven can be a place on earth, it's in their house.
0: Yeah. Well, it's with yeah. people who are completely accepting, right? People who love you no yeah. matter what. There's What we've been trained to believe or what we've been brainwashed to believe is mm-hmm. that we are uh, not innately worthy. That we our worth has to do with our worthiness. And our worthiness is based on things that are, that are counterintuitive to us being who we are and yeah. to be able to trust ourselves. You can't trust yourself because there's nothing inside of you that's going to tell you what you should do. Everything that you should be learning how to do and learning whether it's right or wrong is outside of you. That's why you yeah. say a prayer and you ask the Holy Ghost to, to give you some confirmation. And the Holy Ghost is just dopamine. You know, when, when I have my own intuition telling me that I am correct, when I trust myself, there's dopamine and that's not the Holy ghost. And I'm no longer willing to, to give away my power or willing to give away the credit to something that doesn't exist.
1: Yeah. And I still struggle with that. You know, there was a poignant moment. I, uh, I was listening to another podcast, um, Latter-day Les, uh, yeah, Latter-day Lesbian. Yeah. (laughs) Forgot for a second. Sorry. (laughs) Um, but she was saying that, um, the church, the old Bonneville Communications website has had, it's had been taken down, but I found it, um, Mm. again, but they had a section on there about, um, basically they admitted to manufacturing spiritual moments and they are the company that made all of the seminary videos. And mm-hmm. so they manufactured spiritual moments for seminary movies for every youth that ever saw it. It wasn't real and mm-hmm. admitted it on the website. Mhm. And I read that and I was like all of those faith-building moments that I had that I hung my entire life and future on
0: mm-hmm.
1: were fabricated. Yeah. Because they were marketing geniuses and know how to manipulate teenagers. Yep. And humans, you know? Yeah. But it, it was a legitimate thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But they claimed. I mm. mean, they don't claim it anymore. They took it down. But Heart Cell, that's what it's called. Yeah. They entitled it Heart Cell. And I still struggle with that. I still struggle with whether or not I can trust my own
2: brain.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, so... so so, going back to your husband, um, your first husband, there was that you're in a relationship that you're, quote, quote, supposed to be in following the covenant path, and how, how did y'all, what else happens, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
0: Well,
1: pretty much, if he wanted it, we did it. And I remember when we, uh, it was after I had uh, my daughter Olivia, um, I was watching Oprah one day, and there was a lady on there talking about uh, that rape in marriage is an actual thing. That when you're married and you don't want to have sex, it, it's not okay. Yeah. And it's still rape. And I just stared at the screen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I could not fucking believe this information, and then I realized, you know, and I was only four years into our ten-year marriage, and but I knew it was happening after that. I knew what was happening, you know. I still let it happen because it was my duty, but I just I couldn't believe that news, you know. It was mind blowing at the time. Yeah, but you know, it got to a point where. It was my fault that he kept looking at porn because I wouldn't have sex as much as he wanted, you know, and so literally after we would have sex for about ten minutes, I would say out loud to myself repeatedly, I, I love sex. I love sex. I love sex with my husband. It's wonderful. Look how happy he is. I was brainwashing my fucking self Yes into liking sex.
0: Yeah. Well, I know the church is true. I know Joseph Smith was a prophet. I know yeah. that my family loves me. I know that my family will be together forever. I know that everything will work itself out in the end. I know, yeah. I know, I know. I know the Book of Mormon is true. Mm-hmm. I know the prophet is a man of God and speaks for God. I have know. How many how many more things have we I knowed ourselves into believing? And yep. and if we don't believe it, it's something wrong with us.
1: Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I need to pray more. Right. I wasn't a good enough wife. Yep. Yeah, I obviously wasn't doing my wifely duties if my husband was having to go cheat on me with magazines Mm -hmm. and videos that he got from church. Yeah. (laughs) What if the the 12 apostles, when they have meetings, it's just a big orgy?
0: That's interesting. So they're all gay men, right? It's true. But they keep each other secret.
1: Yeah. I'm convinced that polygamy went away because the wives figured it out and started getting together. And then, the, <laughs> and then the husband the priesthood's like no, fuck this shit right. <laughs> we're not needed
0: yeah well because <laughs> the, the women make themselves relevant. the women could be compassionate to each other I bet you know yeah they I was sp-
1: okay with polygamy the entire time I never had a problem with polygamy because I was like I'm sorry I think
2: there's going to be other wives <laughs> <laughs> I think I can make it I think this is a really big deal for Mormon women so the whole idea of, of sex, and, and even, um, I know that there's like faulty statistics that float around out there, you know, they, they tell women that, all, you know, 70% of women cannot orgasm with penetration, and so you're sort of raised to believe that it's you're not going to enjoy it anyway, so when it's really crappy... You just figure that you're part of that majority 70% who cannot orgasm and who isn't ever going to enjoy sex anyway. So you endure your wifely duties. And, you know, a woman's sexual fulfillment really comes from her brain. Mm -hmm. And if your brain is already convinced that your body parts probably don't work then when you are having sex and it is not fulfilling, then it just becomes this thing that's like, oh, well, I guess I'm broken. And for a long time, I was so pissed at God specifically for making me a woman Mm -hmm. and making it so unfair that men got to go until they were finished and women just are sort of left hanging. And you didn't even understand what your anatomy was, or what it was capable of doing, because it was it, it just never even entered your thought, you just didn't know at all. And so, and then you also have the men who are have this same expectation if their wife probably can't orgasm or can't have a, a fulfilling sex life, then he, then he's off the hook too. He doesn't really have to try because her anatomy just doesn't allow her to enjoy sex. And Mm -hmm. I think it's, uh, I think women are robbed of having fulfilling and enjoyable sexual experiences.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm kind of throwing my husband under the bus a little bit here, but, um, he when we first got married um i don't know how long into our marriage it was but i just basically it it was really early on but i just basically said to him i'm like you're not done until i'm done he didn't understand he did not know women could have orgasms he didn't know and so that's another thing that comes up in the church i've met so many women um, whether it was in Colorado or here, it doesn't matter where. When we are raised in the church, we are raised not to be sexual. Right. We are raised to be shamed of sexuality. We're raised. We're raised to um, you know see ourselves as dirty if we uh, believe that we have sexual thoughts because um, all our all our sexuality comes from our brain or comes you know our attraction comes from our brain. But um, you know if we as women don't speak up because we have been taught not to have a voice then how do we even know what happens with our bodies if we're never taught those things how do we know how to um, orgasm how do we know unless we watch porn or unless we are taught by somebody else and when our mothers also probably didn't orgasm or probably didn't know how probably didn't masturbate because they were told not to and then they taught us not to do those things then how do we actually figure out how to be sexual with our husbands because we also know for a fact that women take some time to warm up it's not just you know wham bam thank you ma'am okay I'm ready are you no I'm not by making me feel aroused we're making you have a better experience also so yeah yeah, I think there's there's been a lot of women that I know that don't have orgasms they've never had an orgasm they've been married for years yeah that's
1: Mm -hmm. crazy and I just realized can I tell you what I just realized? Mm-hmm. Yes, do. This is supposed to be your story and we keep talking. We no, do. you're good. I love it.
0: This is a great conversation.
1: Because um, you helped me. It, it's a it's a collaboration. You're good. <laughs> but I just realized during this part of our conversation that the, the way I made it through was because uh, I had a lifetime experience with myself. Mm. And um, I could do a lot of breath control. And so, you know, that I I orgasmed a lot during sex, but I just realized that's why it wasn't because of him, it was because I could get myself there.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And there was a lot of fake orgasms. <laughs> you know, I did a lot of faking it because yeah. it it just wasn't pleasant at the time, but that's how I could make it through for yeah. so long with two husbands. Yeah. And the second husband, he, you know, he was emotionally unavailable, you know, it's not his fault, but there was not sex hardly at all yeah and i was okay with that yeah. i had come to the fact you know i could not ever be a lesbian but i it's okay that i never had sex again because my sex experience in the
2: previous marriage was
0: right shitty yeah <laughs>
2: do you do you have anything else you want to talk about with that first marriage this this
1: like now? Um, no nah, it was just a lot of cycles of You know, pornography, me finding it out, me taking on the responsibility of his repentance process.
3: Mm -hmm. Until
1: one day I couldn't fucking, I couldn't do it anymore. I woke up one day and I realized that I, this was the moment where I either accepted that I was going to, for the rest of my life, and that I was 30, resign myself to a shell of a person and be dead inside. Or choose myself. And I chose myself and I got out. Because I did not want my kids to be raised anymore with him mm-hmm. because he was emotionally abusive ass who covered it up perfectly with spirituality and charisma. My family never saw it. They all hated him, and, which is a whole nother story later on mm-hmm. uh, of just hypocrisy. Mm. But um, I got out. Yeah, I didn't know what the fuck I was going to do when I was living with my parents which is the only way I made it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, my older brother paid for my divorce and it was terrible. And he's just wow, awful. But yeah, I decided that I wanted to be an alive person.
0: So I oh. got out. Yeah. Tell us about that journey. What was it that was the catalyst? What was was there a straw that broke your back? Are you the camel? a yeah. <laughs> Straw that broke the camel's back? Was there something <laughs> specific that you, that the light switch went on? It just went
1: on. I, we had been going to marriage counseling, um, to a guy that was in Mesa, and then he had to not be our marriage counselor anymore because he was moving to Safford, Arizona. Oh. And then a few months later, we moved to Thatcher, Arizona, which is the very neighboring town, mm. and uh, he was here. Oh, nice. <laughs> and and so I remember he called out my ex-husband in counseling a couple of times and was like, I don't know, one time he was complaining because of milk in the fridge, or there wasn't milk, and I didn't tell him to get some some bullshit like that.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: hmm And the counselor was like, can you go get milk? Why does she have to be in charge of the milk in the fridge? And we didn't go to counseling very much after that (laughs) because this guy saw right through him, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: But, um, I started seeing him again and, um, I was like, there's things about my marriage when we were seeing you the last time that you didn't know, Mm -hmm. mainly sexual abuse (laughs) and rape. And, um, so he said, you need to decide what you want. You have to decide what you want. I can't tell you to get divorced. if somebody." He said, I will tell you, somebody in a similar situation, it's abusive. And I wouldn't want them to stay in a relationship like that. Mm-hmm. But you have to decide for yourself. And then one morning, before church, we woke up and we were having sex. And he rolled me over and was holding me in the pillow. And uh, I didn't like it. And then I realized, I somehow got bravery to say i don't want this anymore we need we need to separate i haven't loved you since our third child Mm. i think partly i made that up as an excuse but really i think it was true i just died along the way you know and um and he it was a whole thing my dad kicked him out of the house you know that started that whole process but it literally was a moment i could not have my face held into a pillow one more fucking time. Yeah. Nobody should know how to not suffocate themselves in a pillow. Nobody.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's a skill that I have. So if anybody tries to suffocate me anytime, <laughs> you know, but... It won't I work, it right?
0: Work <laughs> so I have, a, I have a question for you that just mm-hmm. kind of came to mind, and I don't mean it to be insensitive, but just uh, thinking about when you were talking about after your third child you became a shell inside... I kind of wonder if your mom was actually not heterosexual.
1: Oh, I don't doubt it. I mean, I, they produced two gay children. There was gay somewhere in the family.
0: Yeah, but she couldn't. You know? she but couldn't I
1: thought about it. that a lot because I am gay, yeah. you know. Yeah. I thought, no wonder she's fucking crazy, yeah. wanted to die every second. You mm-hmm. know, she, she like you were saying, Dana, she never got a chance to explore anything. She was pregnant at fifteen, mm-hmm. trying to escape an abusive family. Yeah. You know, she grew up and her brother raped and physically beat the shit out of her, and was protected by her mom. Yeah, he never got in trouble.
0: Yeah, it's generational. You know? It's generational. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. I think my mom is a lesbian.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, really do. It. It was just, you know, I. Yeah, it's just the thought. Yeah, how horrible it would be to be stuck. Oh, yeah.
1: Awful. And I was that until I decided not to be.
0: Yeah. I think each one of us, as we move forward in these, um, whether it's our marriage or whether it's taking care of ourselves, um, trying to not make the same mistakes on our children, uh, I think we each do a good, um, something good in the world by not being, not staying where we would have been miserable by taking care of ourselves, by taking care of our kids. Yeah, Um, yeah, but still regrets, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. And that started, you know, I got out of that, but a year and a half later I got into another temple marriage with, Mm. you know, my second husband. But because that marriage was so empty of emotional anything, Mm -hmm. it, I don't know, maybe it was my age, I have no idea. It was a whole mixture of waking up to the bullshit that is the cult and... Discovering myself because I didn't have a spouse really to you know, help me discover who I was through his neglect I discovered who I was mm-hmm. you know, and and here I am today It was an unpleasant ten years, but I've made decisions like I was not a good wife I I just wasn't he he wasn't there and I Did a lot of things in that marriage that I shouldn't have done and I feel pretty shitty about it but we both I was in survival I just was surviving
3: yeah
2: I, I wasn't doing other things nothing. in between in between your two marriages had you had any relationships with women at all at that point have had you did, did you did you know you were a lesbian and you were purposefully marrying men as part of your duty in the church but did you ever have an experience, the experience of having a relationship with a, a woman in between that time? No, not in between. That came during my second marriage. But um, I,
1: I ramped up the spirituality because now I had to be the priest. To you know, I had to fill both roles. I ramped that shit up a hundred percent. But I had, um, I had just had my fifth child. He was two and a half months when uh, my first husband and I split. So I had to get a job. He was uh, gluten intolerant um, and was very, very sick as a baby. He was dying in front of me, and I didn't understand why. Um, We figured it out. But um,
0: uh, tell me where we were. You, this was your fifth child that you were um with your <laughs> first husband and your fifth oh, yeah, child was
1: up the spirituality yeah oh, your sorry. fifth
0: child was gluten intolerant Is that what you, that's what you were saying
1: yeah, yeah so okay. he was really sick anyways i started to be a working mom and um which was hard because i had the sickest baby at home that i had to leave it was awful but i grew a lot but my boss um his wife, they they owned a company and I was their office manager for a while. And I developed a very strong, I fell in love with her. Mm-hmm. And I um, ended my job because I self-destructed after that. You know, it all goes to shit because what are you going to do now? But I remember praying harder than I had ever prayed for God to please take it away. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be gay. I didn't want to be in love with her. I needed to be Good. I needed to be that thing that I was raised to be, you know. And I prayed and cried. It was pathetic.
0: Yeah. You needed to and be worthy. It really, really was. Right? You okay. needed to be worthy. And if you were unworthy, yeah. then there was extreme loads of guilt and shame. And you're the only one trying to keep it together, right? You're the yeah. only one that can make it so that your family's going to make it to the celestial kingdom where there's no empty seats. Yeah. Yeah,
1: because you know what? If the mom falls, the whole family falls. Mm-hmm. Everybody's eternal salvation is mom's responsibility. Yep.
0: Something you, you did know? wrong, or when all your children go on a mission, it's something you did right. Exactly.
1: Yep. Yep. Exactly, and that's how you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it was it was terrible. So yes, I did know that I was gay to answer that question, and I hated hated myself for it, and I needed to fix it. And so the answer I'm sure that I gave myself because I do not believe in personal revelation. I believe that we are all our own God and we reveal stuff to ourselves. Yeah. So the bullshit that my mind made up for myself was that Heavenly Father told me that as long as I was faithful, I would not struggle. But the second I strayed, I would have to deal with this problem all over again. Mm -hmm. And so I doubled down, boy. I went to the temple all the time. (laughs) Doubled that shit down.
2: Yeah. Were you sealed to both of your husbands? Yes. Did you go through the process of, uh, like, a woman cannot be sealed to two men at the same time where a man is able to be sealed to multiple women. So how did your, did you dissolve your marriage through the church and did they, Did they just allow you to do that, or was it a big fight? Um,
1: Yeah, so I did. I had to dissolve my sealing, but I wasn't allowed. Here's another fucking thing I had about the church. I had to stay sealed to that fucker
3: Mm -hmm.
1: until I met another man who could fill that role for me. So my thinking was that if I fucked up while I wasn't married or sealed to somebody else, he would get my kids because he was a temple recommend holding, always was able to get a temple recommend. Yep. Always. And it, I know for a fact that he lied his way into that little card. Yep.
0: So yep. My, my mom was sealed to my stepdad. My stepdad is the one who molested me from the time that I was 9 till I was 13. And when my mom divorced him, she was not allowed to um, to take away her temple sealing or end her temple sealing until my dad died in 2014, and she could be sealed to him by proxy. Then, then she was able to unseal herself from my pedophile stepfather. So, if you don't, you know, I mean, how traumatizing is it that you can't separate yourself from somebody who's abusive? But then how much more traumatizing is it that we realize that the church is our abuser all along? And so how do we separate ourselves from our abuser when the abuser is actually the church that's supporting the abusers, it's, that's defending them and making it so they can continue their behavior?
1: Yeah, because you don't know that your real abuser is the church until you're out of it and uncreeping yep. yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, but it was, I hated that. I mean, at the time, I understood it because, you know, Heavenly Father, and you don't know everything now, and maybe I could ask that later. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't really a problem. He signed off on the paperwork. It wasn't, uh, he didn't really cause any problems there. I just remember having to wait. Um, and so, yeah, he, uh, it, it was pretty smooth transition. I, I've heard a lot of horror stories, and I didn't have that.
2: But, so... What's striking me now is um, when you get, like, a regular divorce, a earthly divorce, you divide up property, and you divide up your finances, and there's custody and all of that. When you do a temple sealing, the, then all of a sudden it's like you're, you're settling on the soul's of your children, and who they get to be sealed to, and where their eternal home is. And in my opinion, it starts to become ridiculous, you know, because Mm -hmm. ultimately, if ultimately your goal is to be sealed to your spouse, then your children are going to go off, and they're going to be sealed to their spouses. But all you have is these men in the office who are going through paperwork and deciding who's sealed to who and which souls go where. And it's and it's fake. It doesn't exist at all but besides the fact that it's fake, it can be a hugely abusive process and the church is the church and the couple is making determinations on who's going to end up with the children mm-hmm. in heaven. Which is ridiculous because the goal is supposed to be that they end up with their spouses. So what, what is the problem? Why is there this discussion of getting the ceiling annulled in the first place? And uh-huh. ju- just recently one of my friends is going through this process. She's had to fight to get her ceiling taken away. And it's been a big power thing between her and her ex but they the bishop sent like this questionnaire thing that she had to go through and she was supposed to list all of her sins I since that. since did? the time of her endowment in yep. order for the seal in order for the guys in the office to determine if they're gonna dissolve her sealing or not, they actually you, now it's on computer too. So like it's this questionnaire on the computer and she's got to type in all of her freaking sins since since 1999. That's yep. what it was. And I just think what ridiculous what ridiculousness is this? It's
0: nuts. <laughs> Uh So this totally reminds me of Brenda, Brenda's story when Brenda, I don't know if you've listened to Brenda's story or not yet, but um, she was talking, she's FLDS and she was talking about how all the people going into this meeting for, I can't remember what it was called. It was like the, you know, to be super duper worthy or whatever, um, to be part of this higher tier of FLDS. And um, she said that they had to write down all their sins they had to write down all the things that they had done wrong. What is the point of that in a marriage? Like I, I, I kind of could understand what they were doing, but it's to it's to be able to hold ownership over you. It's to be able to have control over you. So, if that's not the premise for everything, in originally with like my my husband and I have been through counseling many 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 many, many times, and um, one of the things that comes up since he and I have been talking. Uh, since I left the church, was that he really did believe that he owned me? He believed that I was his property, and the same yeah. thing with his, with our children. You know, the the children are the property of the parents. Um, yeah. But if you think about everything as property, then of course they're not going to dissolve a marriage um, ceiling until you're somebody else's property.
1: Exactly, and and. The oh, I forgot that was part of the process of having to write down my sins. Yeah. Let's just talk about that
0: for a second. Yeah, yeah please tell if, us about that because, if, holy,
1: uh, If you have a temple recommend because you're going to be sealed in the temple, you had to repent of all of that shit before you got the temple recommend. So why in the fuck do you have to go back and write down things that supposedly don't exist anymore mm-hmm. because you repented from them?
0: Yeah. You're no you're not white as snow, right? You're supposed to you're supposed to hold on to those crimson sins and remember yep. them always and never really let yourself off the hook. Oh yeah. And, and then wonder
1: why women in the church there's such a high rate of antidepressants. It's because ding even ding that ding. is your fault. Ding. You're never clean. <laughs> you can never be clean. Not really. Yeah. You know, if we want to know what you did as a teenager, we get to know. Mhm. Because We have the priesthood, and we get to know. Mm -hmm. And we'll judge you when you're 31 Mm -hmm. because of what you did when you were
2: 19.
0: Right, because it's going to stay in your file forever.
2: Oh, yeah. It's so ridiculous to me to think, wouldn't that be a really fun job, though, the guy who gets to read everybody's sins? Like, that. in all honesty, it's got to be pretty entertaining. And I feel like a lot of them really get off on it. Oh, I know they do. I,
1: oh, I thought I unplugged my mic. I know they do because my oldest brother admitted to another one of my brothers that it turned him on when he would hear sexual things.
0: Hmm. He was a bishop. And if you think about it, was the brother he was
1: in the stake presidency? Oh, jeez. But hmm. if you think about it, you know, uh, I don't. I'm not trying to make an excuse for anybody, but the church is a sex cult because they focus so much on not having it, that it's obsessed with sex. And you have men, this is another passionate, ugh, it's disgusting. You have men who have zero training on how to deal with people, let alone abuse survivors,
3: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: who can say whatever the fuck they want Mm -hmm. and assign whatever fucking consequence you get for your sin without knowing what the hell they're doing
3: mm-hmm.
1: i the oh the worst bishop i ever had the one that told me i had a blank slate for a husband after my first and sexual encounter with a woman which we can get to i went in um and it to talk to him about another uh encounter that happened where the uh elders corner president was married to the young women's president and they owned a local business and i had fallen in love with a relief society member of my ward and we had an emotional relationship that we wanted to last forever like i was hook line and sinker into this woman and um uh, she worked for them and they had found out that I was in love with her and had told employees and people in their community that I was a pedophile and to keep their children away from me oh, so I went in to talk to the bishop because what the hell elders Corn mm-hmm. president mm-hmm. shouldn't be doing that so I went in to talk to him and I said listen I'm a lesbian but that's not why we're here I need you to know that this person said that I was a pedophile, and they, as you know, are a local business owner and are spreading around the community for people to keep their daughters away from me, and I am a primary teacher.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: So I need you to do something about that. And he said to me, you're gay. And I said, yeah, but that's not the point. And he said, if it's not true, then why are you upset about it? And I said, because I'm not... And he's telling people to stay away from my daughters. Yeah. And he said, we need to go back to the fact that you're gay. (laughs) And then for two and a half hours, he told me that I'm the most selfish person that he has ever met in his life. And then no wonder my husband didn't turn out the way I wanted. And no wonder my family is falling apart. Two and a half hours, I sat there and listened to this bullshit and swallowed all of it because this is a man of God. Mm Mm-hmm. And he made me, through coercion, tell him every th- my entire sexual encounter with this woman. He made me tell him. And I didn't want to tell that story. It was personal. There was a lot of thought that went into that relationship. There was a lot of consideration about where it would land me spiritually. I knew very well that I was breaking covenants. I had to do it. I had to do it for myself. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want him to know because it's none of his fucking business. Yep. But I had to
0: tell him. But we're taught, we're taught from a very young age that this is real authority, that oh, this yeah. is this is our salvation. You know, if we don't repent, if we don't go to this person who has the priesthood keys to be able to um, help us to repent, then we can't repent. We can't, we can't be forgiven.
1: Uh-huh.
0: So it's, it's a cycle. It's a cycle of abuse, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Perpetuated by everybody. Yeah. Is he... Was he still
1: bishop after that? Fuck yeah, he was. Mm -hmm. Was he telling bullshit to other members of the ward that literally had you know legitimate problems? Yeah, Mm -hmm. he was filling their heads with guilt-ridden, shame-ridden bullshit. Yeah, I couldn't. It was the first time I ever wanted to get up and run out of a church and never come back. Yeah, but I justified it because he was a man of God.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And I had fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. I had an experience in between your two marriages. Now, this was during my second marriage. That's part of why I was a terrible wife. So I knew I was gay. I had met this other woman in my ward. We had an extremely toxic relationship because she is was abused as a child, but she was, I believe she was a narcissist. Mm-hmm. Um, undiagnosed, but I lived with one for a long time. So I'm, at least it was an abusive relationship where it's very much real Stockholm Syndrome. I believe the church causes Stockholm Syndrome, and then I found myself in it again, like I was hook, line, and seeker into this woman, you know, but, um, it was during my second marriage, and then, because I was so in love with her, I would cry and cry, we would cry together, um, and I would say, I don't understand why Heavenly Father is putting me through this,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I don't feel like it's wrong, I love you, I want us to be together, and she'd say, I know, I know, we just have to figure out a way to do it,
4: Mm.
1: you know. Where we're never together, but we're together,
0: yeah. you know?
1: And I resigned myself to it. I was never going to get anything better because I was a piece of shit. Mm. But I decided that I needed the experience. I needed to know if I really was a lesbian or if I was crazy. Yeah. And I needed to have sex with a woman to figure it out. Mm. So I met a girl on Craigslist, and uh, we both had the same goal. Never had sex with a woman, wanted to do it. No expectations of a relationship made plans, you know, after texting for a couple of months, made plans to go meet in a hotel. So I went, we had sex, and I had no idea who this girl was, really. You know, it was a one-night stand, and it was the best sex I ever had in my life. Hmm. It was the first time in my life I understood what it was supposed to feel like. First time. And I was like, fuck this shit, I'm a lesbian, (laughs) and I need to do something about it. And when I went home and laid next to my husband at night, it was physically
0: repulsive to me yeah what you said about religious Stockholm syndrome it's interesting that you said that because a friend of mine um that lives in Arizona actually um she and I were talking about religious Stockholm syndrome you know we I don't know that it's really a term that has been coined but (laughs) but it really is we we are told that the problem and the solution is the church or actually no we don't tell the problem we are the problem the solution is the church they will give us yes. plenty of problems that wouldn't be problems otherwise if we weren't a member of the church if we didn't have if we didn't have these beliefs about ourselves because of what the church teaches us if we didn't believe we were promiscuous or didn't believe that these things that we do when we're abused or even when we just have a different way of thinking and seeing people and you know expected to be what we're not we, we teach ourselves and we teach others, we teach our kids that they belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And therefore, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the solution. Yep. You are the problem. And if you have a problem that doesn't align with the church, then you need to fix it by the primary answers. Read your scriptures, say your prayers, and then scrupulosity yep. to be able to yeah. feel worthy yeah. yeah, and yeah.
1: that relationship, that one-night stand was the catalyst to me leaving. After that, I had the information I knew, and I decided to be a change within the church. I decided to be mm-hmm. a lesbian that was going to stay married, because spiritually that's what mm-hmm. you're supposed to do, yeah. but still deal with the feelings, but not, you know, kind of be out. I wanted to change the church from the inside,
0: Yeah. because I,
1: you know, I was an alright person. I was doing pretty good. I figured I could you know, be one of those people that would be a catalyst for change. Of course, that was naive, and we all know that that was never going to happen. Right. But I really wanted it to. Yeah.
2: Well, you kind of go on about that, because I, I watched something on Instagram. Um, it was a little clip out of a, a person on Instagram posted a clip of their own interview on Mormon Stories podcast, mm-hmm. and he, he was gay, and the clip that he posted was when he was talking about um, trying to stay within the church to be the change for the church, and uh, how, in his opinion, to promote the idea that you can stay in the church as a gay person is in his opinion was a damaging thing to suggest to people because you get stuck in a religion who that is not ever going to accept you no matter what kind of change you're mm-hmm. trying to create from within the church and he felt that being gay and trying to stick it out was actually is actually extremely damaging so i'm wondering what you like what are some of the things about you trying to stay within the church what things did you do and how did you ultimately realize that that was a futile a futile pursuit to try to do that
1: well once again i pulled up my bootstraps and i became spiritual um, previous, previous to this, I had had two suicide attempts. Mm. And so I had brought myself back from the brink a couple of times. And, um, and, uh, one of landed me in the ICU and I woke up completely alone. Mm. <laughs> Nobody gave a shit. Yes.
3: Uh,
1: that sucks. But, um, I, I decided that, that, that was going to be me, and I slowly started telling my story. I came out to my kids one at a time, and I, and one of the things I said is, you know, I'm, I'm gay, but I need you to know that I'm not leaving the church, mm-hmm. that I, I'm going to make it, and we're going to figure it out, but I, I want to be myself. I just need you to know, and I started bearing my testimony about spirits, and who we are, and, and, uh, You know that we have these 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 things about us and i had been already (laughs) i was a missionary for four five years i facilitated the addiction recovery program meetings Mm. and um i had i had figured out that being gay was an addiction And that I could manage my gayness with the 12-step program. Mm -hmm. And I dove into that shit. Dove into it. And I was in a room full of fuck-ups anyways. So the most spiritual church experiences I had was when I was facilitating those classes with a room full of Mm fuck-ups. It was the realest group of people that I had ever been around within the church. A room full of people that knew they had fucked up and was just trying to do better. Instead of all the fake shit that I had lived with, you know and so that because those meetings are closed in private was my platform to talk to people about how i was gay but i was working the steps and you can do it too no matter what you're saying you can do it too we're all everybody has something mine just happens to be same-sex attraction
0: yeah
1: and it could be managed
0: with my story also i i wanted to stay in the church i thought i was going to change it from within so when we fir- when we first figure out that there's something wrong and that there's the church isn't perfect or the church isn't, you know, the gospel isn't perfect, that there's imperfect people running the organization, then we, you know, we try to change it from within because we think we can. We think we can make it better. But the reality is is that it's never going to change because of what we're doing or because of what we're saying. It's going to change because of social pressures. And the more of exactly. us that put on social pressures, the more, I think the more that people can realize that it's not of God, that there's not somebody at the head of the church saying, you know, speaking for God, it's a bunch of old bigoted men that don't know how to change their own viewpoint, their own perception, their own reality. Um, they just continue to impose it on everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: they don't have to change because it's not God's will. And if they change, and the people can't handle it, and we get all crazy, like the BYU students who could be gay, and then they couldn't. Then <laughs> there's another magical revelation Ta-da! about how, well, you couldn't handle it, so we had to take that revelation back. Nice try. Yeah, yeah. They can always justify their way out of it. Yeah. Always. <laughs>
0: So how did you go from having that relationship with uh, this woman um, and then doing the 12 steps and dealing with that to finally just stepping out of the church and figuring things out that way?
1: I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it anymore. You know, four suicide attempts later, I just I couldn't do it anymore. I could not live with myself a second longer. And I realized one day that... The only thing Heavenly Father wants from us is for us to be happy. And I have been fucking miserable my entire life. And if He really meant what He said, I'm choosing my happiness and we can work it out later. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: That's all I could say. Yeah. And I just went off of that. And I, you know, I got a divorce. My kids went through, you know, it again. Fucked up my kids again by getting a divorce. You know, and everybody, you know, they kind of knew why I had gone off the deep end. And I was 40, so obviously it was a midlife crisis type mm-hmm. of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I resigned from the church. Um, I didn't go through a website, but I looked up a bunch of different kinds of letters to write. And I picked and choose and made my own. And I made sure that I put in there, you know, I have done nothing wrong.
3: Mm-hmm. Take
1: my name off the rolls of your church. It's not because I sinned. I haven't done anything wrong. I just don't want to be associated with you anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I did. And then I started showing my porn shoulders and (laughs) (laughs) being myself and, you know, just kind of exploring that side of me. And um, and I left, and I wasn't fully divorced uh, when I left. I hadn't started that process yet. I don't know why. I don't know why. I just hadn't, Um, but again, still, while married to my second husband, I met my wife, (laughs) and we were together when we decided to start both of our divorces, but it's like I met her, and I was like, wow, this is the universe rewarding me for getting out of that bullshit and deciding to be myself. Four months later, there we are.
0: Was she married to a man?
1: yes so her ex-husband is a trans woman oh so he's uh she started her transition uh, after we were together our relationship was a catalyst to kind of get her where she is today mm-hmm. which is living with us in yeah. a great relationship we're all friends um our their biological son and my stepson is uh profoundly autistic oh. and um we worked it out. They have a good relationship. They should have never gotten married. Hmm. They're better off friends. You know, we're really good friends. It's the best. I was just telling them last night, we were talking about how we are the textbook example of what adults can do if they get their head out of their asses and put their kids first.
0: And, and accept it's themselves, textbook. right? Accept themselves yes. as they are. Accept ourselves as we are. Oh, yeah. Instead of conforming to something that makes us miserable.
1: We have the entire rainbow in our house. Yay! <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> Can I ask, because um, this comes up a lot, um, I actually did a post recently and I had like a big mega church pastor come onto my post. Somehow he found me. I don't know how that even happened, but um, tell me what this phrase means to you. Uh, hate the sin, love the sinner. Mm-hmm. Let the
1: record fuck reflect that
2: shit. Yes. Until because now, I am not
1: a sinner because I am myself. Fuck you if you think that me being myself is a sin. You know who is the sin in there? You for judging me. There is mm-hmm. nothing wrong with me or who I am. And you cannot separate that bullshit. I tried for years trying to understand what the sin was, but not the sinner because the sinner is committing the sin and every time I say sin it's in fucking air quotes because it's <laughs> bullshit Ugh. yes but it's a load of shit that keeps you straight chained down with shame
3: mm-hmm
1: yes it's just pouring with shame. So Love what the would sin you yep
2: yeah, what would you say? because I'm seeing from where I sit as people are de- deconstructing all types of their religious beliefs that lots of people use this phrase and they are using it with the intention of trying to accept lgbtq people and they really believe that this is an accepting that this is a loving and kind way to deal with their lgbtqia friends. They really believe that, you know, we hate the sin, but we love the sinner, and they view that phrase as, as accepting and kind, well, which I don't... Knows. Well, that's good.
1: Otherwise, I would have just said "fuck you" a lot to you, and that would
2: have been. I <laughs> know. Oh, I'm. But. I'm wanting to hear it from you because I hate. I hate when I hear that. But I think it's disgusting. It is, but they all—they're always trying to explain how it—how it's actually supposed to be a good thing. But I don't. First of all, I think that they don't actually know or take the time to know a, a person who is in the LGBTQ uh, community, and they they don't understand how freaking harmful and, and yucky that is. No, but also
1: you're in a culture of people that say harmful and yucky things, every other word come out of their mouth. So it's completely normal seeming to them. I did it. Mm -hmm. When I would bear my testimony, when I came out as gay and I would bear my testimony, I would use Esteban as an example. I would use that fucking phrase to get myself through to understand that I could still love my brother even though, Mm -hmm. even though he was gay. And the biggest difference between him and me is because he must not have tried to live the gospel fully. And he must not have had a, a, a true testimony when he went through the temple. I prayed for him to not fully understand what he promised. Mm -hmm. So that he wouldn't go to outer darkness and I could see him again because I fucking love him. Mm -hmm. You know, he he was the best brother in the fucking world. I've never met another person that was better to me as a child than him. But I used him and his life to justify the cognitive dissonance in my head. Because there's no basis for it. It's not real. It's a lie, but so is all the church.
4: Mm -hmm. You
1: figure out a way to deal with the cognitive dissonance until one day it's so loud, you can't anymore. But that's how. It's a lie you tell yourself over and over again to make it okay to keep you in it. Just like everything else. Well,
2: and what about um, the the church is trying to erase their past on this and claim that um, they don't believe that that being gay is a sin they just believe if you act on it, it's a sin so what's the difference again, it's, I again, I think it's bullshit, but I would love to hear from somebody who who is gay, I want to hear how that, felt, that feels for you uh, it, well, it feels like
1: shit, all of it feels like shit because it makes you the problem again mm-hmm. it makes you the thing that needs to be fixed not them they don't need to be fixed. They yeah. have the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I
1: used to be so proud when my kids, as three year olds, knew more than the smartest people on earth because they knew the gospel. I said fucking shit like that. Isn't that disgusting? Yikes. Like, come on.
0: Yes, I hear it. But I you hear say that. it, yeah.
1: you know? But it's just like everything else. It's a game of semantics, just like politics. Mm-hmm. You phrase it right, you can get people to believe it. You take one piece of bullshit and put it into different words and say it over a pulpit and there you go. It's a mindset of an entire people it's just like the word of wisdom
0: if you if you get someone to question themselves long enough, exactly. if you get someone to stop trusting themselves, stop trusting their own intuition, stop trusting mm-hmm. that they know what's best for themselves, then yep. that's what you get. you get a bunch of people who can't who can't accept that something that is against the church, even if it feels right feels yeah. good, feels better feels liberating even if it changes your whole paradigm and you know you shift into a different way of thinking mm-hmm. that's not good right yeah. you can't trust yourself so then you learn yeah. oh well if I can't trust myself with this what can I what can I trust myself with?
1: nothing yeah absolutely nothing unless God tells you it or you realize that it's not from God and then you repent for being a sinner yep. because you listen to Satan.
2: <laughs> it's just well, they, it's all- they are totally asking you to to they're saying fine you're you're not a sinner but also you now you have to be a eunuch and celibate for your entire life and yep. but it's fine cuz you're no longer your sexual orientation is no longer a sin so it's mm-hmm. fine. Well that's just, what you get. Yeah. That's what you get just, for being gay.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. That it's was so my cost to bear. It,
2: exactly.
0: Yeah.
2: And uh, it's sort of what I was saying at the beginning too about how um, being gay isn't about having sex. It's like it's it's not about having sex. There's sex that that comes out of the intimacy that you have with your relationship but being gay is we we always try to make being gay a sexual thing yes. when it's the sexual part of those relationships are the same as a sexual part of a heterosexual relationship where it's sort of a byproduct of the intimacy between two people so but even with that phrase that it's, it's fine now if you're gay, just as long as you don't act on it. It still is sexualizing the whole thing. So, mm-hmm. and, and it's taking away your opportunity for companionship, which is really a, a basic need for every human. Yeah,
1: plus Heavenly Father meant us to be sexual beings. So literally my punishment for being gay was to never be able to be loved. I remember sitting in temple sessions... You know, when I was spiritualizing it up, crying, not because I was having a spiritual experience, but because I desperately wanted to be able to make those covenants with the woman that I was in love with, but I couldn't because she was a woman, but I loved her so much that I wanted to say those things to her and have those things be true, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: but I never would, never would be able to, and it's because in heaven... I chose to be gay. I took that upon myself when Heavenly Father said, here's your plan for your life. I agreed to be gay.
3: Mm-hmm. So that's
1: just what I get. I get to be alone for the rest of my life. Yeah. Just like people can't have kids. Okay. I didn't ever get to be loved.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I don't and, they, I mean, people are, are choosing to do that. And then if they act on anything at all then they just have that horrible guilt and shame for wanting to just be like every other person on the planet. And to go back to this guy's uh, Instagram thing where he posted this little clip from his Mormon stories that he, he just wanted what everybody else wants and to try to stick it out in the church and and think that you can be quote quote strong enough to never act on the desire to be loved and have companionship is asking a person to place themselves in a prison for of loneliness for their entire life and and when you say, well, we don't believe that, sin, that being gay is a sin anymore, that's fine. So, so it's this mixed message to them. It's like, okay, you're fine, this isn't a sin, but also you can't do anything at all with it. Mm-hmm. It's to just... S- to stay must be the worst kind of self-depriving hell.
1: Yeah, and you either end up dead on the inside or dead on the outside.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or That's where you go. Exactly. Yep, I know. I want to be dead. Ugh, I have not wanted to be dead since I met my wife. So Isn't okay. that crazy. How did you meet your wife, and how did that? How did that end up for you? So, um, I I took a merchandising job, and um, I was at a at a store doing that job, and I saw her. And that was it for me, I knew right then. Like really, it, it I didn't have to pray about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew. And um, I didn't know what to do, but I, I knew that I did deserve that. And so, you know, I left and, and I wasn't gonna look for it where I was at in this, you know, small town because it's mm-hmm. so limited. And so I just stopped looking. I decided that it was it really wouldn't be for me until all of my kids were grown and out of the house and then I could live the life that I wanted finally you know yeah. but I met her and all those bets were off you know and and I had to do something about it so I kind of worked my way in and and uh, I had to have somebody's a manager of the store sign off on my paperwork and I had a purple sparkly pen, and I went to her the first time I went to her and, um, she's like, I love your pen, and I was like, God, I love you, <laughs> and, um, and I knew, that? And she's like, I can't sign this, though, you have to find somebody else, yeah. every fucking time I went, I tried to have her sign it, so that she could see my purple pen, uh-huh. and that I can see her,
0: yeah,
1: and, um, it just went on like that, and she's, she's a cute little tease, my wife, and so, <laughs> you know, she liked the attention, and so she played into it, and it just kind of developed, and, um, after a couple of months. Uh, she, we had started, oh, I was, I said that um, I didn't end up getting to the store that day when I thought, because it was, it was just too late in the day, and she found me on Facebook. She looked up my paperwork and got my name off my paperwork and looked me up <laughs> on Facebook and messaged Yay! me on Facebook, and I was like, I thought you were going to come to the store today, and I wrote back, um, you know, I'll come another day, um, I'm in town, and, and this, this, uh, picked another date to come, and then I said, you know, I have to service something, and so I was like, "Mm," flirting back, and it just, that, that opened our dialogue, and then she was going to go out of town, her, you know, her marriage wasn't doing well, and um, she was leaving to go out of town for the weekend, and uh, so I had said to her before we left work, "Um, can I kiss you before we leave? To to which afterwards, I guess she was in the bathroom most of the time because I made her so nervous. But she came out, Mm -hmm. and we kissed, and uh, it was all over.
0: Yeah.
1: That was it. She came home. That was on Friday or Thursday night. We had our first date Monday, and then she moved in like two days later. Wow. Well, when you know, you know, know, right? You know, you know. Mm -hmm. You you really do. That she, I believe... Because of the where I was in my life, I had really done some personal work. I really understood the law of attraction. I really believed that you could manifest the good in your life yourself. It didn't have to come from any other source. Mm-hmm. And I seriously believe I manifested her from nowhere. I really do. And she was my reward for getting my head out of my ass and finding my way out, you know, to the truth, which is away from the church. Yeah. But that was it for us. It happened fast. And in our story, it needed to happen fast. We got together in um, July 26th was our date, day. And um, we she moved in right after that. She was living with us by the first week of school, which is like the first week of August. Oh, wow. And I had decided that that was it for me. My kids would just have to fucking deal with it because I had put myself on the back burner my entire life, and right. I deserved it. I just did. Mm-hmm. And I hoped that we could all make it work, you know, and, um, it was, how very old p- were your kids at that time? Um, my oldest was married and pregnant and out of the house. She was 20, 22, maybe, no, 21. She was, she was young and did the, you know, did get married young type thing and start a family. Um, but she, I can't remember how old she was at the time. Um, and then our second, Um, she was 18, I think, still living at home, you know, working, and I was fine with that. Um, and then my third daughter was in her senior year of high school, so 17. Um, and then my fourth daughter, uh, she was in eighth grade. So she was, I can't remember however old you are in eighth grade um, and then my youngest is 12. <laughs> I remember he was 12. Um, yeah. so they they had a hot minute to go but I figured they were old enough you know they had seen me go through hell and really only um, our oldest daughter had an issue with it um, and we got engaged in October you know so it was a standard you know Mormon engagement. I don't know why people had a fucking problem with it. People yeah. in the church are engaged for four months before they get married. Right. You know? Yeah. So we got engaged in October, and then um, at the end of November, um, oh, she was 15. I remember now. Um, our 15-year-old uh, was in a car accident and mm. ended up dying from the brain injuries oh. from that accident. And so our the timeline for our relationship needed to be, for us, fast and furious, and we were only four months in when that happened, and she mm-hmm. was by my side, never left. She had the opportunity to be like, see ya.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't want to deal with this, but she took it on. We were we were us, and we had found each other again finally, mm-hmm. and it, it caused massive amounts of problems in my family, but I, I don't care. You either love me for who I am like you preached you would all those years, or you don't, and if you don't, fuck off. Right. <laughs>
2: Isn't it amazing how you, like moms have to put themselves on the back burner for so long, Mm -hmm. like it's so long and then you, you finally get your opportunity to live your authentic life and have your opportunity for a good relationship that's fulfilling and loving and all the things that you want it to be. and But it ha- it happens so much later than it could have. And, yeah. And uh, I just see a lot of moms who sort of are, are living for everybody else. They're living for their kids. They're living for the church. They're living for their husbands. They're, they're living for all of these things except for themselves. And when they finally have the opportunity to step into their authenticity, a lot of times it can be, you know, later in life or, in, you know, in our middle age. And you've just had to put yourself on hold for all of that time. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm just fully realizing that my, even myself. You know,
3: -hmm.
2: yeah, of really wanting to be in this place. I'm going to be 47, and like all of the sudden, I want to have my own things, I want to have my own interests, I want to pursue the things that I'm passionate about. That I did all of the years of mommying, I did all of the years of the wife thing, and I want to have an opportunity to, you know, who is Dana. What am I? Mm-hmm. What am I interested? What are my passions? What are my desires? What are my dreams? I've I've put those on hold my whole life for for raising my kids and and being the wife and and all of those things. And all of a sudden, I I want a fucking life. Mm-hmm. And in our culture, that's revolutionary and it's actually sort of rebellious. I'm I could be seen as rebellious j- just for wanting to have my own life and interests and pursuits and so I you know I'm feeling for you that all of that was put on hold for so long and then here you are and you have the opportunity to have the things that you wanted and sometimes that comes with a lot of resistance from our communities and but at some point we really do either die or we die on the outside like you say we die on the inside or we go ahead and live
4: mm-hmm. and
2: people either have to get on board with us living or they have to we have to go we have to be okay letting them go and that is extremely
1: difficult oh yeah it's it's awful and the like i had no idea i lived in a bubble where i thought You know, I I had a lot of friends and a lot of support. And why in the hell would you stop being my friend? I'm still the same person, you know. And I meet her, and everything is like, I I don't know what happened. It's still a whirlwind to me this day, and it's been three years, you know. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't understand what happened. I didn't, I changed, but my core person didn't change, you know. Just who I was with changed, and okay, if you want to judge me. You know, for my last marriage and the shitty wife I was. But I was literally doing the best I could. It was either that or try and die again. And I didn't want that. I wanted to live Mm -hmm. this time. And so I chose to live. And meeting her was the best fucking thing that ever happened to me in my life. Ever Mm -hmm. can happen to me. And it just, like, I'm floored. Because every I never, I always wanted to love somebody like this, You know, but then every day I figure out that it just gets better. Like we love each other more. I don't know how. You know, <laughs> stupid earthly words like "I love you" don't cover it, but it has to do. You know, so you say it a lot. Yeah. But it's it's if they I don't know how they don't see how I'm so happy. She's it. You know, she's the thing. Yeah. That. That I always wanted and I got so much more than I ever thought I would you know and Mm -hmm. so I meet her And we get together and I am the happiest I've ever been in my fucking life and it's here Like it can happen for you people, you know, and so I'm in the best time of my life And then the worst worst thing that could ever happen to you happens Mm -hmm. And it's the foundation of our relationship, you know, she could have left but she didn't she fucking stayed there We spent two weeks in the PICU Mm. while Hannah was in a coma waiting for her to die, you know. And she was fucking there by my side every damn day. She carried the weight of what we were going through and me the entire time. And her worst fear in the universe is death. And she witnessed it up close and personal, you know. And, God, it was so... I just, there's nothing that I can do that will ever explain to her how much I love her. And I know she would say the same thing, but fuck. (laughs) I just, I can't. I'm at a loss of words, obviously. But to see somebody step up and to love me more than anything or anybody has ever loved me and shown it and meant it. Mm-hmm. You know, is you mean it. When you go through something like that, you love the person. You don't go through watching a teenager die right. and watching the mother of the teenager deal with it. You know, and she fucking did. She was there every day. Every morning we would show up at 7 o'clock for rounds, and I would stand there like a shell of a person, and she would listen, and she would ask all the questions that I wanted to ask and she would remember it. And if I didn't understand something, she would find a doctor to come explain to me what was going on. She was it. And then when we had her donation day, she became an organ donor and the day she was gonna die all the way, my family came and I was so I was so happy to have my brothers. <laughs> Come and support me on the worst thing that could ever happen to a parent. You know, and they were there and they stopped their lives and they came, and I was so excited for them to see how happy I was. I couldn't wait for my dad to see what an incredible person I had found after the bullshit that I had gone through. And they show up. And they fucking see my ex-husband in the hallway, my first husband, and they shake his hand, and they hug him, and they tell him how sorry they are that he's going through this. And they walk in the room where my wife is, and they don't even acknowledge her existence. They didn't look at her. They didn't talk to her. One sister-in-law and my niece had a long conversation with her and it was accepting, and was happy that she was doing so much for me. But what I got was questions from people about why she was there. Why does she get to be here? You've known each other for four months. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I couldn't process any of it, because what I was already trying to process was not able to be processed, yeah. you know?
0: Yeah,
1: And I just got to watch these people... And I told her to please take pictures she documents everything and I have more pictures of my kids Since we've been together than their entire childhoods. Mm -hmm. I'm so sad that she wasn't there the whole time But I told her to take pictures of just moments, you know, and she just innately knows when to take You know when to remember something and so my dad had come and my dad was hugging me And I was having such in my reality. I was having. such a moment with my dad, and she got a picture of it, and she showed me the picture, and the look that my dad was giving her that I couldn't see, I've never seen that on his face, the look of disgust, and hate, and I couldn't believe that that was my dad, I couldn't fucking believe that my dad who was supposed to be Heavenly Father and King Triton mixed into one, Mm -hmm. would look at another person like that, and then to see these other priesthood holders shake the hand of somebody that they had said that they hated. They couldn't stand my first husband. They couldn't fucking stand him. But they'll shake his hand and give him a hug because his kid's dying. Mm -hmm. As such, I could not believe it. And then... So she dies, and we have to stand there. If you want to be an organ donor, there's a process you have to go through if you're not brain dead, and she had enough brain activity to be said that she was alive. And so you have to they have 90 minutes after they take them off of life support for them to die. Otherwise, their organs are not viable, and they go get wheeled back upstairs.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So we're standing in there. I'm standing in the room with my ex-husband. Who had previously, during this experience, we had just had a meeting with the doctor where we were looking at pictures of her brain and how it wasn't even a brain anymore and what we needed to do. And after the doctor left the room, my ex-husband's wife sat there and told me how horrible of a co-parent I have always been. What? For like a few minutes. And that they had discovered that my daughter was bulimic and... The last two weeks of her life, it it was kind of chaotic and she had gone to live with him um, because at that time what she was doing, I felt like it was the safest place for her, and which is ironic, but it was a small town where everybody could keep eyes on her and she kind of was being a little too fearless about being a teenager.
3: Mm.
1: And now I understand that it was part of the end of her life and what she needed to do, but He said that the last two weeks of her life when he was living with her, she was a totally different person and that I was holding her down this whole time and that she was bulimic and how could I not know that? How could a mother not know that their child was sick, which she wasn't, by the way. My daughter was not bulimic. And I was just sitting there, you know. I just had to sit there and take it one more time. And then everybody's loving on him, you know. So I'm standing in a room with our daughter who is dying in front of us with my future wife next to me who everybody hates but was there anyways you know across from him after all this shit is terrible so she she dies and they rip me away from her body and go into this room it's like a waiting room with all the family you know Mm -hmm. and i walk in and i'm like on the verge of collapsing and I'm walking over to my dad to hug him and it kind of collapsed in his arms and she said my wife says she needs to sit down and my dad who is holding me says I know what she needs screams at her in a room full of people and then she's just left there she had just witnessed her worst fear of a person that she loves and was left there completely alone by these people I don't even know I can't even wrap my brain around it to this day I can't who didn't think she had any business to be there who is she to be here she doesn't have any business being there and I'm like fuck you you stand there and watch your kid die and then tell me that your spouse doesn't belong next to your side fuck you (laughs) it's disgusting their behavior is disgusting To me, and after that, I was like, "Mm, "These are not the people that I grew up with." I don't know who the fuck you are, Mm -hmm. but you're not everything that you taught me my whole life. Right? Not at all.
0: Well, that's where where that dissonance comes from. What what we what we want and what we do are not the same. Yeah, you know, and it was not the same. I have never seen such
1: a stark difference between personalities of people, and that's exactly what they were. Right. To act like that in a moment mm -hmm. of such pain. For somebody else, yeah, it's deplorable. It's it deplorable is. behavior.
0: Yeah,
1: they would never stand for it. They would never, in a million years, stand for their wives to be treated the way they treated my wife. Yeah, but they don't see it because we're a lesbian, mm-hmm. and it took us only four months to love each other. Well, it took us about twenty minutes to love each other. But <laughs> but there's know,
0: just there's there's the church in a in a nutshell right there. Yep. You you are expected to be uh, this perfect image of what the church wants you to be you can't be what you really are or who you really are and then everybody is angry when somebody else when somebody actually is able to be who they really are and is happy they can't look at that person and say you know i'm happy for you they have to judge you based on what the church has taught them and and you know i don't i don't know that i was Quite that bad but I do remember I think like you said earlier I, I really feel terrible about the things that I said when I was Mormon when I actually believed in it you know the justification of issues that um, that come up in the Mormon church and oh it must be of God but we just don't understand the reasoning and we won't understand the reasoning until the next life and you know it's all bullshit it's it's just a way to convince yourself when you're Mormon that that, that thing I just don't fully understand it, like you were saying. Yeah. We don't fully understand it. So, yeah. What were you going to say? Yeah.
1: And they blame her. Uh They blame her for her death because I had left the church. They don't understand. I had left the Mm. church a year before I had met her. Mm -hmm. But I meet her, and then this tragic thing happens. Yeah. And it's because... Stupid little Becky doesn't have any, you know, she's just led off by this harlot.
0: It's, it's because you sinned, right? It's because you sinned. So because yeah. you were pulled away and you sinned, now you have these terrible things happening to you. It's not just because terrible things happen.
1: Yeah. It's because I left the church and got with her, mm-hmm. and she's the scapegoat for everything. Mm. It, does, it doesn't It does have to be her. It would be anybody I ever would be with. Yeah. But yeah. She's, she's the scapegoat for their cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, I, I think too that other people can't handle your trauma and your pain. And I don't understand how you can have like the worst pain that a parent could have and then they pile more on you because why the hell not? Mm-hmm. Right you're already in pain, you're already suffering, so let's just toss a whole bunch more judgment and bullshit on your shoulders too. Yeah. Because because they're uncomfortable with with their feelings and they don't like how you are handling your trauma and your pain. Mm. And so they can sit back with a whole bunch of judgments and... um, Self-righteous bullshit. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes,
2: the presumption that you're doing it wrong you're handling it wrong you're not mourning correctly you're rebelling by having a a woman there you there's there's always all of this fucking judgment on somebody who's just been in a trauma and then you're the one who's suffering this trauma and you've got to be managing how everyone else is and like you fall into your father's arms expecting the comfort expecting love except expecting all of the things that you should expect when your child just died mm-hmm. and instead they don't like how you're doing it and i just freaking hate that i hate that and it happens all the time and i i just wish people would see that like stop being uncomfortable with other people's pain. Mm -hmm. Sit there in the darkness with them. Mm -hmm. And don't try to fix it. Don't try to make assumptions of why it happened. Don't place further blame on that person who is just traumatized. And handle your own feelings about the grief while the person who's experiencing that trauma handles it however their brain allows them to deal with it in that moment mm-hmm. like yeah and then during
1: this entire thing i have the kids at home you know and um my uh, trans daughter olivia was riding back and forth to the hospital with my other daughter and my sister-in-law having and it, this is at the same time i have no idea that this happened until a couple of week, uh months ago but um they're in the front seat having an entire conversation about trans people and how terrible it is. Meanwhile, my trans daughter is sitting in the back seat. Nobody has any idea, but she sat there during a two-and-a-half-hour car ride listening to this extreme example of a great, righteous Mormon woman and her sister talk about how deplorable trans people are. And it's just yeah. like what I had to do my entire life. When I put up with family gatherings where my brothers would talk about Uncle Rex and Aunt Steve, because that what his name was at the time, and feel the gay jokes and the faggot this and gay that and, you know, just sickening conversations that I stood there and was a part of, I didn't add to it, but I didn't take away from it either. I didn't say anything. I just went along with it thinking these people better not fucking find out that I'm gay ever because I know yeah. exactly what they're gonna say behind my back. Mhm. But I didn't ever think it was possible. But after I saw them when my daughter was dying, I don't even know what kind of conversations they have now, but their behavior in the hospital cost me their relationship. Yeah. That's it. I you know, I tried to hang on for lots of time after that trying to understand why they would act like that and I gave my daughter's life story at her funeral and while before I was trying to write it you know my dad would come over and visit to see how we were doing well I was doing completely ignore her even though she was sitting on the couch next to me and then proceed to tell me that I need to go off by myself alone so I could write this so that I could be inspired He'd given me a couple of blessings, by mm. the way, and, and uh, yes. I have to interject with this piece of priesthood bullshit.
0: Mm-hmm. So my
1: dad comes to visit me, and we're in the hospital, and Hannah's laying there on all these tubes and shit, and, uh, and he tells me that he needs to give her a blessing that so that she could die, so that her spirit could leave her body, and I was like, I, I mean, I think it's okay. I've had a lot of conversations with her about how she doesn't have to stick around, <laughs> Yeah. You know, and he's like, she needs a priesthood blessing to be able to give her that power. Hmm. So I, as the mother of this dying child, didn't have the authority to tell her, honey, you don't have to keep trying to hang on. Hmm. You know, it's not going to work out.
0: How how does anybody else die that doesn't have a priesthood blessing to say that it's okay to die? Um, nobody else can die until they have a priesthood blessing and they're given permission That's why we have to ghosts. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Oh, I get it now. Yes. So every ghost has not had a priesthood blessing and they need to be baptized by proxy so then they can go to spirit prison or live in spirit prison until the second coming. And I'm yeah. probably saying this all wrong, but I don't really care anymore because... Yeah, it. you spend a
1: thousand years paying for the fact that you didn't die with a blessing, priesthood blessing to tell you to let go.
0: Yeah.
1: I just couldn't you know, and what am I gonna say, no? Right. So I sit there with his hands on my head, knowing full well that Uh. it is bullshit. But I was just letting my dad do what he needed to do to make Mm -hmm. himself feel better. So once again, to a priesthood holder, I throw myself under the bus and become Mm -hmm. a doormat so they can give me a stupid useless doesn't mean anything blessing so that my daughter could die because i wasn't good enough to tell her that
0: well it was it was it was something that helped them oh yeah so it helped them but they don't they're not interested in helping you or your daughter actually i shouldn't say that they think they're so brainwashed to think that what they have is something that you need and something that your daughter needs so Mm -hmm. maybe they're They have some belief, I'm assuming they would have a lot of belief in that, you know, the power of that, but the realization that it's not real power is, mm. yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm. Well, and you have to endure it, too. You have to make accommodation for everybody else and what their feelings are as they project them onto you,
3: Mm -hmm. and
2: Mm -hmm. then you're judged for your own feelings and your own coping mechanisms, and, and the ex, the, the presumption is that they're doing it right and you aren't. Yeah. And poor thing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah, just I'm like i That's how you are as a Mormon woman in the church. Yep. You I you just have to step back into that role and let them do their thing because they're right and you're
2: not. Yep. And that's. And you'll what sit it is. there and take it. Mm. Yeah, that's what we do as mothers. We're just like.
1: I don't know where the stream is that told me to give everything away, but I'm going to block it off. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't yes. get to be a stream that runs anymore. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: Yes. So, that's, yeah, I don't have a relationship with them. I, I finally just blocked everybody. You know, even after she died, I was still taking messages from people, and my brother, just my fourth brother was, would text me to check, you know, see how I was doing, and He was studying for his, uh, oh, my God, what's the name of that class? Sunday school class. And in case I wanted to know, here was the lesson, in case I wanted to read it. And Mm. I'm thinking, I don't fucking want to read that. Right. (laughs) And it was a talk about the Holy Ghost and why that that Heavenly Father needed my daughter more than I needed her. It was one of those motherfucking talks. And I'm thinking, no. So I blocked him. And I'm like, why is it so fucking hard for you to understand that if you want to have a relationship with me, shut the fuck up about church. I don't want to hear your testimony. Be a person. And like, when I first got back into Esteban's life, he had boundaries. Mm -hmm. He was like, if you're going to be back in my life, You know, he had to vet me first, which I don't blame him for in the slightest because now I'm vetting people. I know exactly why he had to cut me off Mm -hmm. because I was brainwashed Mm -hmm. and I couldn't function without it. And he said, if you want to have a conversation with me, you're not telling anybody else about it. The rest of the family cannot know that we're in contact. I don't want anything to do with them. Mm -hmm. Um, We are not allowed to talk about the church in any way, shape or form or kids. I want to know about you and your life. And that's it. Mm -hmm. nothing else and it'll be a while before it might go beyond that you know yeah and there was there was a little conversation because i had no idea how to have a conversation where i wasn't bearing my testimony in some fucked up way Mm -hmm. talking about my kids and their church accomplishments i had nothing about my own self and it was a huge wake-up call i realized i was not a person i could not have a conversation with him and not include those other things. Yeah, I couldn't. And that's when I realized I had to start becoming a person.
0: Yeah, you, you deny know? yourself the entire time you're a Mormon. You deny yourself your own, yep. um, your own intuition. You deny yourself your own wants and your needs because they're all contrary to what the Mormon church teaches. You can't mm-hmm. be your own person, so then therefore you lose who you really are. I have the same feelings. I, when I left the church, I feel like I had to figure out who I was. And I still struggle with that. When people ask me, you know, what is it that you like? What kind of activities do you like to do? And I'm like, hmm. Don't know. Right? Oh. I have to think I don't about know. it. Can you tell me? Yeah, can you <laughs> give me some activity ideas and I'll tell you if I like it.
1: <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. and you know, my wife asked me and still to this day, like I struggle with with that. I yeah. don't know who I am as a person. Right. And it fucking sucks. Like, I, right now, I'm stuck in this really angry place because before I was even born, I was psychologically raped into this stupid cult. Mm -hmm. I had no choices ever. Yeah. Yeah. I was born into the role that I was supposed to play, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And I don't know really how to make choices for myself. It's been so hard, and I'm just pissed all the time. How dare they? Yeah. I never stood a chance.
0: Yeah. At having my own self. Yeah. They don't want you to make choices independently. They want you to make choices based on what the Holy Ghost tells you. And the Holy Ghost is always going to bring you back to the church. The Holy Ghost is always going to bring you back to the right way to live. And I'm putting air quotes up there. But, you know, the right way to live. And there's only one right way. There is no room for people to be themselves to be authentic to themselves so how do you figure out what you want and who you are and what your preferences are how do you make decisions when you no longer have this um angel or or holy ghost on one shoulder and the devil on the other and you can say oh well i'm confused right now or i feel poorly right now i don't feel good about this thing that we're talking about so therefore it's from the devil you know and and everything else that is that Intuitively, we know is good and and right and feels good when they when they talk about it, or even the things that we've been brainwashed to believe or think are uh-huh. true. We can have a Holy Ghost spiritual experience um, about small things, and it's confirmation for ourselves that that's something that we can you, we can get behind, we can believe. Uh-huh. But then, if we always think that it's the Holy Ghost, we're waiting for that answer. We're waiting for that confirmation that the choice that we've made is the right choice. We never get it. And we never really know that it's actually us making the decision and us knowing that it's the right thing or the wrong thing to do.
1: Yeah. Or we make up shit that we tell ourselves. You mm-hmm. know, there was I went to girls camp one year as a leader and um, you know, you go off I was earning my Leahona since I had already gotten all the other damn awards you could get as a girl in the church, yeah. you know. And you have to spend uh, time by yourself in prayer, asking Heavenly Father uh, if he loves you.
0: Right.
1: And I was there for a good hour, sitting there not hearing a fucking thing except for the animals around me because I was Mm -hmm. in the woods.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, and finally, just like all the other spiritual experiences, I give myself an answer. And I think in my head, I know I don't need to answer that you've known all along. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, "That's right. Why would you have to tell me again, mm-hmm. stupid, stupid girl? Yeah. You know, you, you. I told you that once. Mm-hmm. I don't need to tell you again." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah you're right. You know, I, that's. Thank you so much for letting me know that you've never stopped loving me." You mm-hmm. know, like, "It's disgusting what we tell ourselves." Yes. And then you're in the temple where you covenant before God, angels, and all these witnesses. That you will, you know, dedicate your time, talents, 100% of everything you are to the building up of the kingdom of God mm-hmm. on earth and blah, 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 Like The building of Zion on the earth, right? Because you would fucking figure it out and get the fuck out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. All so the credit. now I'm my
1: own person, living my best life. And what, that's what makes me angry is I'm in the best time of my life. Best person that exists on the planet I feel sorry for other people, except for <laughs> Rex. He's, he's he's up there. I love Rex. He's
0: awesome. Yeah, you know. Yeah.
1: But I'm I am living the life I have always wanted, and every day the fucking church holds me back. Yep. In some way, shape, or form, I yeah. cannot get that out of my damn head. Yeah. And it pisses me off. Did you? So I missed whatever question you asked me a minute ago.
0: Me? Um, or Dana?
1: I think Dana was asking a question. Oh, okay.
2: Okay. Let me think. I don't recall. It'll probably come...
1: That's all right. The train always circles back around.
0: <laughs> Eventually. The squirrel goes up the same tree, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just have to let things go. And, yeah. you know, let go of the anger and stuff like that. But I, I have so much trouble getting over the fact that I was robbed of the first... Half of my life,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they mm-hmm. stole it from me. Yeah, and yeah. now I get the life that I want, and I have to deprogram myself mm-hmm. and figure out how to learn as a normal person, which is so hard.
0: Yeah,
1: I, yeah. I, I'm a 45 year old person who has trouble making choices for herself. <laughs> yeah, and believing that anything I say to myself has any relevance at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's very frustrating. Makes you really angry. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're allowed to be angry. You're allowed. You you should give yourself permission to feel whatever it is that you're feeling. Yeah. And I'm, I'm shitting you. I'm sorry. I I I believe that we should all be able to feel whatever it is that we're feeling, and however we're feeling is the right way to feel. So nobody should be saying to us, "Hey, you shouldn't feel that way. Stop being so angry." I'm I have every right to feel whatever I'm feeling right at, at any point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's like, we have a lot to be angry about.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And the more we find to be, you know, the more we find that was wrong and that that caused harm. And even if we didn't see it at the time, the things that were causing harm, things come up every single day that just are aha moments. And oh my gosh, I realize now why I thought that way. And, And it wasn't a healthy way to think, but now I can see it for what it is. And I think the biggest blessing I put blessing up there in air quotes because I don't believe necessarily in, in a divine intervention but I think that the greatest gift that I've been able to give myself is to be able to let go of that and see it for what it is
1: yeah and I'm learning uh, I'm learning how to give myself grace and I think that's why like you were saying the best place on earth was at Esteban's party mm-hmm. that's because they are nothing but grace yes. he gives grace to everybody Mm -hmm. and that is so accepting you know and there's a lot of days where I am letting myself off the hook and I you know I do stop and think you know that I I did made that decision under duress or you know I I said that but I had no idea the impact of what I said to that person but I you know I don't have to keep hanging on to it I can just understand where I was at that time in my life
3: mm-hmm.
1: and mm-hmm. just don't be like that again. I mean, you know, right. it's, you just, you just have to give yourself grace. Yeah, That's it.
0: I think when we start recognizing those patterns of abuse, um, that it's easier for us to, to recognize it outside of the church. It's not easy to recognize oh, yeah. it inside the church because the church is also, um, their their practices their behavior the way they expect people to conform is um and using threats to to make people conform all of that is grooming the entire religion is grooming their their prey basically to make sure that you stay in the church stay in the boat stay in the boat stay in the boat stay in the boat the boat's on land but stay in the boat uh brad wilcox's last talk was just full of them you know you lose everything if you leave the church you lose everything you lose mm-hmm. your eternal salvation. You use, you lose your family. Are, are you sure you want to be wrong about this? I mean, I hear these things, and I'm just like, do you not even realize how terrible those things sound and how evil you sound when you say those things? Mm-hmm. It's to so teenagers because that's his mm-hmm. crowd. Yeah, and it's abusive. It is abusive, especially to kids, teenagers that are being scrupulous, that believe mm-hmm. that their their only hope in life is to stay in the boat, to stay in the church, no kid wants to lose everything, you know? Nobody yeah. wants to lose everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, the church, not just the Mormon church, you know, but I believe I, do, I have zero belief in any kind of organized religion. Mm-hmm. And I did not even figure out what spirituality was until I left religion because right. they, the two don't coexist. Yeah. You know, they can't. But yeah. religion, in my opinion, is a breeding ground for narcissists and mm-hmm. abusers, yep, they teach them exactly how to do it and how to get away with it, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they do get away with it,
0: and and not and just it teaches the
1: abused how to stay abused, yeah, because you never get help.
0: Yep, yeah, not just teaching them how to do it, but also defending them when they do.
1: Oh yeah, all kinds of protection. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. If you if there's anything that you want to plug, is what I was saying. I was just wondering if there if you want to plug your Instagram or your TikTok or anything um, so that people will follow you and be able to kind of catch up with you. Oh,
1: well, me, my wife does all the social media, so let me look <laughs> up. I know we have an Instagram, so i got to look it up real quick because she's the younger one in the relationship that keeps all of that stuff together. Okay, yeah. so we do have an Instagram, and it's... It's the lit lesbians. So it's the period lit L-I-T period lesbians. We (laughs) are. We're lit.
2: (laughs) That's awesome. So. I don't do,
1: after my daughter died and the bullshit with everything, I just, I haven't been on social media. I don't want to see other people's things. I don't want to be triggered by it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I can just pretty much
2: stay off of there now. Yeah. No, I I get that. I'm so sorry that that happened. It must be absolutely terrible. It's terrible, but it was very
1: eye-opening. I never, ever, ever want anybody to feel that level of sorrow. I didn't know it existed until you're in the club that you never wanted to be a part of, but mm-hmm. you're shoved into. You know. Yeah. But I, it was, uh, it was the fastest way to show me people's true colors.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's, you know, out of the out of the ashes, you rise again. And this time, it has nothing to do with bootstraps and everything to do with. Rising out of the ashes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is interesting that you say that because that's the logo that we have. <laughs> it's the is oh, yeah? that Phoenix, yep. I'm thinking
1: about changing my name to Phoenix. Yeah?
0: I think that, that would I be, I think awesome. I think that'd be a cool name. I kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, that's awesome. So... Yeah.
2: well thank you so much for doing this I I thought it was really great we haven't had a story yet like yours and I think it's just going to speak to so many people I just feel like a lot of people are really going to relate and I'm so grateful that you agreed to do this with us today yeah,
1: you too thank you I I am too you know like this I don't, I don't I know that we're supposed to be here where we are right now you know but I have for so long thought that my story, you know, things that I've gone through is not bad enough. It's it's not like other people's, you know, I can, you know, I've gone through some stuff, but, you know, not like those other people. They're on other podcasts, you know, no. and it's, it, that's not true either, you know, like. You, you realize, I'm fucking strong. Mm-hmm. I am a strong person who got out of a lot of shitty things. Yeah, And have been <sighs> yes. through a lot. And I'm not the only one. Yeah. I can't be the only one. And yeah. that's what oh. the church, you know, you get stuck in this thing where you can't say anything because you're stuck in the shame and you're mm-hmm. never going to talk about it. You know, I can't be the only one. I can't.
2: <laughs> you are not the only one. And, but I will tell you, that every single person so far who has mm-hmm. done their story with us has said exactly the same thing, that they're not sure that their story is bad enough or maybe it's not interesting enough mm-hmm. or um, uh, almost all the time when we get submissions to the blog, they say, you probably heard from a lot of people who have said the same thing, but I want to add my story. And the reality is that every freaking story matters and the difference of of having the survivor themselves tell the story is everything because Mm -hmm. maybe maybe my experience with the actual abuse and your experience with the actual abuse maybe they're different but so many other things come from that so you can't like I want listeners to realize that their story does matter that it is bad enough the fact that you have a story is bad enough you and not only that but the the aftermath of things so maybe the actual abuse itself was an individual circumstance here and another circumstance over there and and when we compare it to some tr- truly horrific things are out there in the world maybe we think we don't matter but we all have the aftermath and the family dynamics and the religious trauma and the PTSD and all we have all of those other things on us too and so it it does matter it is important and I want people to start just really owning their story it, you know if you're in a safe place where you are able to talk because some people are not and, it's, and they're equally as brave, mm-hmm. but if you are, I would love to see people s- start to speak with more confidence, and and owning that story, you're not dumb, you're, it, it, it's not that it's not enough, or don't compare it to somebody else, recognize that you, you have a voice, and you have a story, and These stories really are changing people's lives. Like, Mm -hmm. they hear you say something from your experience, and it validates their own experience. You are going to have this experience. You're going to get off of this, and you're going to feel like you just ran a marathon, and then when your story publishes and you hear your words speaking back to you, I'm telling you something really magical happens, mm-hmm. and and then that magic affects the people who listen.
4: Right.
2: I just think it's so awesome. I'm really proud of what we're doing, and I, I think you've done a great job.
4: And
0: well, is there anything else that uh, that you've that's popped back in your head or that you've circled back to that you don't want to miss saying? Um, or do you feel like you've gotten everything out that you wanted to say?
1: Uh, Well, I had a funny thing pop into my head, and it's when I came out to my dad. Uh You know, I had to explain to him that I was gay, but that I was staying in the church. Oh, right. And uh, so I take my then-husband with me on a car ride with my dad, and I tell him that I'm gay. (laughs) And he gripped the steering wheel so tight, and he said to me, we don't have another Steve situation, do we? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, Esteban was like, oh, is <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> yep, I was a situation. I'm like, yeah. Yep. You were a situation. Hate to break it to you. We
0: do. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, that's
1: funny. Anyways, thank oh. you. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> it is validating. When I say it out loud, I think, man, I went through some shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly, and it's yes. you know, not everybody has the same story, but we all understand what it feels like to feel like shit, yes. to feel invalidated, mm-hmm. to feel not important, mm-hmm. and that's the basis of connection between humans. Right. Is that we know what that we can, we know what that feels like to ourselves. Yeah,
0: and so, now now you know what it feels like to share your voice, right? Yeah. I mean, with, and to feel empowered. Mm-hmm. And to to, feel like you
1: are worth it. And to feel like your story does matter. And to feel like you can wake up every day and kick ass Mm -hmm. because you've already done it. Yeah.
0: And you own your story. You own everything that happened. You decide that it's not going to have power over you anymore. And the more people that hear it will also start feeling that way about their own stories.
1: Yeah. I appreciate you guys for being willing to even start it, you know. All these voices wouldn't have a voice yeah. Right now anyways, they might mm-hmm. someday, but you facilitated that for people and and it's it does untold things to the person who gets to tell it, you know. Yeah. You you guys are doing good things with people. So, yeah. I really appreciate that. Thank you very much.
4: Yeah, you're welcome.
0: Oh, thank you. Yep. So, um, we've talked about having you and Esteban together for another episode. And so if you can get Hell yeah if you can get with Esteban and then eventually um, we'll be able to get both of you on so we can kinda hear you guys tell your your story that you both understand and how you came back together and how that felt and those kind of things. So it'll be awesome to yeah. hear that.
1: Nice. I like him. He's a good
0: guy. He is. He's pretty amazing. <laughs> we do too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We appreciate you. And give yourself some love tonight because there's there can be a letdown after telling your story. I'm sure you probably already feel that, but um, there's there's questioning. You question yourself, question what you said, question if you should have said that, if you shouldn't have said that. Just know that all the words that you said are going to help somebody.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I appreciate that. I uh, Some of it is a little scary to tell, but also uh, there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to tell that it. it happened to me. And I'm sorry if you're the one that did it and you don't like it, but... Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's your story. It's your story, and you get to tell it.
1: Yes. I get to fucking tell it. That's and then right. And if I feel sad about it, I get to go fucking hold my wife while we fall
0: asleep. Right, exactly. Exactly.
4: Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Thank you.
0: All
4: right. I
1: appreciate it.
0: See ya.
4: Thanks for joining us on latter-day Survivors. You can follow us at LatterdaySurvivors.org, on Facebook at Latterday Survivors, on Instagram at Latterday Survivors. On TikTok, we each have our own TikTok. Kendra's is Latter-day Survivors, and mine is Latter-day Survivors Dana. That's D-A-Y-N-A. You can follow our Twitter at LD Survivors. You can go to our website at LatterDaySurvivors.org and donate. It helps us keep bringing this podcast to you. And we also want to encourage you to follow Cody Francis. You can find him on Spotify and all music streaming services. Go out and support him too. We thank you guys for joining us and we hope that you'll come back next time, that you'll share our podcast and that you'll tell your friends.
0: We are your hosts, Kendra Salani and Dana Brown. And as survivors of sexual assault, we wanted to provide a platform for survivors to share their stories. Many survivors of all types of abuse may be able to recognize and relate to the patterns of behavior in the victims, abusers, families, and friends of the stories shared by other survivors on this podcast. Often as we escape oppressive family, religious, and social constructs to a safer place where we come to see our abuse and all related issues, we are better able to process and begin to heal. We believe that when we share our stories with others, we can also help them to heal. It can take decades for survivors to find the courage to speak about these things. If it is so hard for adults, imagine how difficult it is for a child to speak up. We hope to normalize these discussions so that children can speak to adults earlier. As adults, we must listen and recognize the severity of the abuse, its potential consequences, and the need for action to stop the abuse as early as possible. Just knowing we are not alone there are other people who have felt and do feel the same or have endured similar experiences in life can remind us that we are not alone in this.
4: tell my story, I'm going to freaking tell it.